Welcome to Following the Leftovers, the officially unofficial podcast for The Leftovers on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 3, Episode 6, titled Certified. Uh, what do you think of this episode? Um, it's it, it was a great episode that really had me feeling a lot of feels that were conflicted. Like, hmm. I mean, it's a really uplifting, positive take on suicide. Sure. Which I both admire and abhor. You know, like like yeah. anytime you romanticize something that's so like like it's, I mean, I guess if you if if we live through a sudden departure and nothing makes sense anymore, then sure, kill yourself. Uh, for ever for everyone stuck in a real world having um you know a lot of intrusive thoughts or a long long standing depression, you know, get help. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but it's it's weird that like this show has put so much emphasis on mental health and it shows this therapist who's so good at navigating people's emotions and it shows that she you know kind of gives up it's like you know like like if a doctor gets like um diagnosed with cancer and it's like you know it's like he's got a reasonable prognosis for recovery but it's going to be a tough road and he just you know go they show him getting the uh diagnosis and um then going into the next room and shooting up with uh, morphine until he dies like mm-hmm it's it's disturbing even uh, uh, just just uh, 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 leaving aside its artistic merit for a minute it is it is a disturbing scene and and something that like if you're dealing with some some real mental mental issues i don't i don't know what what kind of message it sends you sure. what did you think man uh yeah i thought it was an extremely good episode um best of the season potentially for me uh, Alan Zeppenwall thought so. He yeah. said he tweeted out right before the thing aired that this was his favorite of the seven advanced episodes he saw. Seven? Why not just give him the whole freaking season uh, because, at that point? Uh, it's Alan Zeppenwall. He's not going to go around telling people <laughs> the ending. That eighth episode must be a doozy. I guess so. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I guess I could get on board with that. I I can't think of an episode this season that has been uh, – has felt as leftovers as this episode felt you know this this gets to the core of laurie in a way that the other episodes have not gotten to the core of people um except for maybe the very end of last episode with matt right um i also thought that thought that portion of that episode was excellent but this was just good across the board yeah and okay great in places did you appreciate because here's the thing i don't know when you came to conclusion that laurie is going to commit suicide i was pretty late in the episode yeah me too which is amazing since the he yeah, had the cold open and then the uh, the title credit sequence was one eight hundred suicide by Gravedigger who uh-huh. is um, Wu Tang adjacent. Okay, <laughs> uh, this was not actually another Wu Tang uh, joint, but it, it's you know has a lot of the same uh, members and and uh, anyway whatever. Um, I, I it, it's it's amazing how. Kind of like that was the whole point of the episode, and yet I guess I believed in Lori's rationality so much um, and thought that she was going to be there for these people when everything kind of came crashing down on the anniversary that instead she just checked out before like, – like it, it, seem, it seems like from her point of view, everyone was gearing up to commit suicide but her. Sure, I, I mean Nora's getting in the box. Kevin's yeah. going to drown himself. Uh, Matt's dying of cancer, and he's doing nothing about it. Right. So There's a lot of reasons not to see the end of this episode coming. Yeah. Um, one of which, a big one in my opinion, is sort of the rationality of Lori. Right. Um, 
that you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other one is there are so many avenues where suicide could apply to this show. Um, right. Kevin committing suicide, uh, drowning himself. Um, there's Nora, who we think is on her way to committing suicide, uh, potentially. But we also know the, the flash forward from seasons from episode one. Right, but we don't know what context that right. has. As regard, like, is this her hotel? Like, there are so many with, questions. With two episodes to go, it kind of feels like that final scene in episode one was a mistake. You think so? Well, I mean, well, I don't know because. It's so much of this show is calculated, mm-hmm. and I use that in the best sense of the word. Like you know, D- uh, Lindelof and Parada and and the other writers are sitting there and like, okay, uh, what is the line between a twist and something that's like Deus Ex Machina and like just like so they they do the 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 Nora reveal in the first episode so that when episode eight presumably happens, people aren't going to be like, oh, what the fuck, this is a cheap cop out. Mm-hmm. Um, just because sometimes just by playing with the information reveal that starts the ideas germinating the audience you can prepare them for something that they would normally reject if you did it in another i mean it's it's a fucking it's a magic and science wrapped up in one (laughs) Uh this this art of filmmaking um it is but it's it's crazy because the other thing i've gotten which i was shocked honestly shocked of how much uh, the community seems like you know there's a there's a small but vocal minority of the community that really is not digging any of this that 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 hmm. loves season one loves season two especially and sees that this is a betrayal uh, of the characters and how people are acting bizarre crazy and I I don't know huh. what to say to those folk because I vehemently disagree mm-hmm. like it's it's your it's you know your opinion you're free to have it but I'm I'm just not one of those um, and like I took great pains last week I, I don't have an agenda either. Yeah. Like, if the show really crapped the bed, I think I'd be open for that. Um, so, I, I don't know. It, it's crazy how many people say this is the finest episode they've ever seen, certainly the best of the um, season, and then how many people say that each of the last two episodes have just completely lost them. How do you reconcile that? I guess I can't. I go scuba go, diving. I, yeah. Not, <laughs> that's not, not – see, I'm doing it now. I'm trivializing the stuff. Uh so, yeah, I, what else do we have for preamble before we just start talking about this? Before we talk much more about the episode, I want to do that little uh, housekeeping thing we're doing. Uh, mention once again that we have the Kevin Day Adventist shirt on our store. You can get there at merch.baldmove.com. Uh, it's an awesome logo of a church being drowned while it's on fire. And show your leftovers pride and support Bald Move in a small way as well. Uh, that goes along with our continuing coverage of Better Call Saul and Fargo releasing later this week. Cecily and I will be recording a combined Bald Move television podcast on American Gods and Handmaid's Tale thus far in their respective seasons. That's coming out either probably late Wednesday, maybe early Thursday. We also did a full review of Aliens Covenant last week. Uh, sometime in the next seven days we'll release our Twin Peaks coverage of the classic uh, first few episodes of the classic series to kind of uh, to celebrate the revival. Uh, and also something I haven't mentioned before is Jim and I have been invited to attend the Con of Thrones in Nashville uh, June 30th through July 2nd. Um, tickets are still available for that weekend. Uh, there's going to be lots of famous people from Game of Thrones uh, there. There's going to be lots of panels. We're going to be hosting quite a few. And we're also going to be doing a mock red wedding uh, where we're going to dress up as uh, Lord uh, Bolton and Lord Frey and try to kill a bunch of Starks, uh, presumably. 
volunteers that we bring up from the audience and play a game of werewolf or or uh, a game of thrones themed version of mafia uh, so that'll be fun uh, if you're in the Midwest or want, uh, check out conofthrones.com for tickets and also the the show lineup. Um, that is a little over a month and there's a lot of excitement. I'm pretty excited to be there. So if you want to come out and hang out with us, like Lori said, maybe go scuba diving. Um, we'll look forward to seeing you there. There were a couple of really excellent moments in this episode, one between uh, Lori and Kevin uh, and, of course, the, the final scene where Lori goes overboard. Uh, and also one between Lori and Nora that was mm-hmm. just like blow your mind good from both of from all of those actors. From yeah, I want to talk about Lori and Nora's relationship because I thought, man, I don't know. It's it's one of those things where I'm not sure where the the true proper beginning as far as just topics to discuss. But but since you um, talked about that, let's let's go with it. Um, I think what's so interesting about Carrie Coon's portray- portrayal of Nora is how like a how laser like focus she is on whatever she's doing mm-hmm. like when she's hunting down these doctors she has got just like this um um I, I i don't know how to describe it other than repeat myself say laser like focus like she's just got she's like um a, a hunting dog with a scent in her nose and she she's not going to stop until she sees this thing through and she doesn't even know i, I mean at, at what point do you think nora I guess decided that she was absolutely going to get in the box and this was no longer an investigation into the thing. And, you know, I, I feel like in, in her mind, maybe there was still some like, well, maybe I'll just bust these or I'll expose them because that's, that's what mm-hmm. she's done. Like she's the usher. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like this is a very obvious connection to make, but she's been the usher the entire time and leftover. She's been the one that as soon as someone finds a ball that distracts them from their temporary pain and grief, she goes and pops it and says, uh, uh-uh. uh, uh-uh, if this ball was to bounce on the playing field of life, it'd cause chaos, and yeah. it's stupid. So I'm taking it. Yeah, and I can't tell if... So I, I think Lori is um, explaining to her that she... that That's why she's been doing the things she's been doing, but I think And that that's also, something we need, as humanity ultimately needs that. Right, these two characters are connected by their, their rationality and, and that kind of focus, right? Like, um... So, so I think first of all, they do a really good job of making Laura, Nora and Matt seem very similar in that regard. Because Matt's also like that. When he gets on a mission, he is on that fucking mission, right? And nothing is going to stop him. Um, secondly, I, I think Lori is also talking a little bit about herself here, right? She mm-hmm. she identifies with that. She's been doing roughly the same thing by trying to get these people to realize that what they're doing is crazy and not telling them outright, not being like. She wow. she like takes the ball back back behind the bleachers and squeezes the air out of it. See, I think I think her role from season two on has been to construct the best, shiniest, awesome version of the ball, and then invite people to go to a special ball pit that's adjacent to the stadium and play with it. Like hmm. she constructs alternate realities for people to. She she it creates balls for people to play with. To distract them. That's what her and John are doing with this grief counseling. That's what her and Tommy were doing with the rewarmed guilty remnant hug bullshit. Right, but isn't that all just a means of keeping people like doing the exact same thing that what Nora's it, been doing, except in a more what's I say, palatable Nora, way? Nora, te- Nora takes the ball away from people and says to deal with it. Lori right. gives the ball to people and says, this is how you deal with it. That's hmm. what I think is the definite because like at no point does Lori ever dis I guess disabuse I don't agree with people that. of their how I mean okay she I mean, does it's fine. she tells Kevin look you didn't see Evie like 
she is bursting bubbles. She's just doing it in a way that well. So is that's more interesting. Palatable. The people that she knows and cares the most about, she is honest with. Mm-hmm. Everyone else gets the 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 placebo. Well, she doesn't so have real. She doesn't it? have real answers for anybody. Is the problem like this right. departure thing? throws her world as much as anybody else's into full chaos right right well this be that goes back to like kind of a, a weird dim view of therapy that i feel like that this show sometimes has is that so Lori with people that she doesn't like 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 she deals with on a wholesale basis not retail like like she's she's dealing like someone that comes into her office 45 minutes a week she's comfortable with giving them a beach ball to play with but people that stick around and actually play with the ball for a minute and then ultimately reject it and be like, well, this didn't make me happy, she then tries to be real with? Like, what I don't see if- her as giving anybody the beach ball to play with. Well, So what is telling obvious lies about te- someone's dead loved ones? What do you think that is? What do you think of but- saying that your son's got a magic hug that can heal your pain? What do you think that is? That's giving closure to people who have lost someone. But it's Where- not whereas- real. It's no longer. It's no more part of the game I mean, that it, we're playing than the beach ball is in the stadium. I guess that's. I I mean I guess I would equate that to like telling people that you should be watching the game as opposed to playing with the beach ball. Okay. But like if they, I I don't know. The metaphor is stretched at this point. But yeah, and it's it's super not super entertaining to watch two guys argue about no and clearly their interpretations like, of television. The difference here is is about the closure, right? Uh-huh. Um, if if she thinks that there is an actual way to help people and they will get closure through whatever means, this psychic ruse, um, she's willing to do that. But when someone comes to her and says, "Hey, we uh, want to talk to our our disappeared, our departed loved ones." She says, can't do that. Sorry. But that's because she hasn't found – I mean, to, to stretch the metaphor further, I think that's because she hasn't found the beach ball that works with them. That that, in fact and, – and the other thing that's interesting is that – But she, but if she believes that chaos is what comes from the beach ball um, metaphor, essentially, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. why would she be allowing – why would she be comfortable with people playing with that beach ball? Because, again, I think it's it's not that she was just throwing a beach ball into the stands. I think she was trying to create a framework in which the beach ball can be played with without it being dangerous. All right. I'm not going to say beach ball anymore this episode. <laughs> I bet you will. No. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna, that's, that's now my mission in life. Good um, So here, here, the, the, oh God, here's I the thing. What She's, I learning to to let go. She's learning to let go of the control. Um trying to tell people what to do okay and i think that's what these last like couple episodes have been about for her this journey um with the lion stuff on the boat and then uh this episode have been learning to let go of telling people what to do that has been her identity the healer and i feel like the reason she kills herself at the end is because she no longer has a reason to exist mm-hmm. it also reminds me of uh a rebuke that uh, jesus gave about physic was it jesus jesus physician heal thyself is one of the things he uh-huh. said um maybe not wow i've, I've I, maybe i need to go back and read the bible um but I would say no. so so like the the fact that like if you're Lori, like i i don't know that she gave up control more that she started to be afraid that these people were making sense or that she knew when you're dealing with this departure that there's nothing you can say that will do anything but enrage the person to make them. So she's like, okay, well, and and then the 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 fact that she's been wanting to kill herself or she hasn't had any solutions. You know, she's the healer that can't heal herself. She's dispensing all this wisdom 
but she, you know, I mean, and, and when she said, I want to be a part of this, was she actually saying, I want to be a part of it so I can stop it? Or I want to be a part of this because I'm starting to believe in it? Or like, I just saw a man get eaten by a lion that, that Matt accused of blaspheming God. And I, 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 I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's. Uh, it's tough to say. It's also a lot of what I wanted to talk about with the Nora and Lori relationship is how interesting it was in light of their shared relationship with Kevin mm-hmm. and how kind of like Nora, you know, she's she's focusing in on this to ignore the pain that she felt by, you know, Kevin and abandoning her. And she's even she's got these like very closed off trite answers when, you know, she finds out Kevin's with his dad. She goes, oh, well, that's great. It's going to be a big day tomorrow and everyone should be with family. Yeah. As she says, as a person who's lost her entire family, she's like, well, that's it's nice for him to have that. Sure. Um, and she kind of starts petty conflict with Lori. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but there seemed to be a point to it. Like, um, Lori's got all these glib answers about how she's got this and she's moved on and she doesn't – she stopped smoking for her. And then Nora, just by keeping this um, memento that Jill gave her, the forget-me-not lighter, instantly punctured that veneer, which is what – that's what Nora does. Mm-hmm. But I guess I guess that's a clue to me that, like, at that point, Lori hadn't committed suicide – hadn't thought about committing suicide. Yeah, I think you're right. Like, I don't I, – I feel like the, the, the idea really germinated in her when Nora gave her the scuba story. Huh. Because she started realizing the truth yeah. of her words that, you know, it, became, it started as a ridiculous idea. And maybe that's the reason that Lori couldn't, like – when she was laying down in her office after she she did she downed the pills and they had the amazing string version of Metallica's you know wherever I may roam playing, mm-hmm. uh, that she's like I I'm here in my home because if you don't know that her she's got this home office situation, um, unless you really thought that she kept a whole guilty remnant wardrobe in her office with a <laughs> you know sink and shower and all that I guess yeah. some people do, um, she's like I can't let my kids come home and find me. Uh, like this, I can't let my husband come home and fight. Like that was been her problem. Is she? It was always too inelegant for her. Yeah, there <laughs> wasn't an, ele- an an elegant way to do it. And now she's mm-hmm. presented the thing. It's the perfect. So- like Nora gave her the perfect solution that she's. And we had, you know, we had no way of knowing that she was a certified diver. Yeah, but it fits. Like there's nothing in her. It, it's it's there's nothing in her relationship or anything that we previously established about her that wouldn't make her be a scuba diver Mm -hmm. and i also like the idea that she's certified like that's a double meaning that you know you talk about people being certifiably insane um and you know she's scuba certified i just thought that was um i I think that moment is the when the moment where she that that plan became real and i also wonder how much the kind of quentin tarantino's timeline structure of the f- constant flash forwards and like, oh, how did she get the black eye? Flashback, here's the answer. Flash forward, how did she know to come to the ranch? Flashback. I thought some of that was to put that moment of her realization that she's committing suicide in the middle point of the episode, yeah. whereas otherwise it would happen like the first five minutes after a cold open. For sure. I mean, you know, the the scene up on the hilltop with Matt and Nora, clearly she's already made the decision. There's that line um, – I forget the exact line she says as she walks away. Oh, it's Norris at the same time next week. Yeah. Um, and she, you know, says sure thing, whatever, and walks away. And then she turns around and you can see on her face that she is already, she knows this will be the last time 
that these people are going to speak to each other. So one way or another, right? Whether why do you think she said see you next week? Uh, well, I, I mean, it's a it's a Plausible silly joke, right? Oh, really? For for one, it's it's a silly joke from Nora, like, "Hi, oh, you're my therapist now. I guess I'm going on the weekly schedule or whatever." Uh-huh. Uh, for an audience member, it serves <laughs> to have this sort of sad double meaning, right? Like, um, Nora doesn't realize that this is the last time they'll talk to each other potentially, like. Or you might think she, that she does. If she really wants to get in this box and commit suicide herself, then maybe she does know that. But potentially she doesn't, whereas Lori does. Mm-hmm. Lori has made up her mind at this point. She is done. She's out. Um, and so it's it's sad for her. It's very genuinely sad for her. And I, I found that to be super compelling as an audience. Oh, member. yeah. Uh, let's stop there for a minute because I was surprised to see that there is a bit of debate on this. Do you think Lori is in fact dead? Jesus fucking Christ, yes. Yes, okay. The whole goddamn point of this episode is to say Lori is fucking dead. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. But, uh, but, but were you surprised at, like, I would say maybe a 20% descent rate based on what I saw? On I'm not. The... I mean, everybody questions everything, uh-huh. you know, about this show. And like, I... unless you saw a great white, like, rip her in half. And even then, people are going to be like, oh, she went to the hotel, she'll be back. Like, well, no. There are a thousand, okay. a thousand avenues you can approach it from. I actually thought the see you next week was a bit of a cheeky meta commentary <laughs> about, like, if all these people do end up dying, I mm-hmm. don't doubt that Kevin will see them. Yeah. And, and yeah. Especially, since, especially since I think that Kevin, when, when Lori says, I'm all gone, um, they're all gone, like, if I want to maintain yeah, my rationality, like, the idea that kevin would see all these people in the afterlife not knowing they're dead it would still like you know it makes a certain kind of dream logic sense yeah because uh, i also nor is not dead but i wouldn't be surprised to see her in the hotel next week i also wouldn't be surprised to find out that my lens theory is correct but you could have an argument that maybe she spent a little time dead okay um, yeah you know or trapped between these two worlds like you can argue anything so here's where i may start agreeing with you that showing Nora so early on in the season in this flash forward might have been a bit of a mistake because mm-hmm. I could see... Well, I, that's not my opinion. That's just something I'm wondering. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't advance uh, okay, it well, as something I believe in. I could lend a little bit okay. of... Um, it, you know, it, it, maybe it is. Maybe it is. Because I could see a pretty awesome scene in the hotel where Kevin... W- that could serve a dual purpose. Like, for... For Kevin, going to that hotel and seeing Lori would be a huge shock, right? She doesn't he doesn't realize that she's dead. Doesn't um, he? I mean goodbye, I don't think so. their goodbye felt like goodbye forever. Now Kevin might But th- Kevin has no way to know that she's off to commit suicide. I suppose. I mean he could maybe guess, but I think it would be shocking to him to see her in the hotel. Okay. And if they didn't show us Nora before Kevin goes to the hotel mm-hmm. and Nora does in fact get in the box, they could surprise the audience with mm-hmm. her showing up at the hotel. Right. And then do like a, a flash forward or flashback sort of thing. Right. To show, you know, her getting in the box and everything. Um that could be kind of cool, but I think I don't think that the scene we see of Nora is in any kind of afterlife. That that flash forward. Agreed. Yeah, I don't think I think she's that's in, in actual uh-huh. physical Australia. And she's gone through some shit. It might be years and years later. It might be radiation. Who knows? But I don't think it's the afterlife. What do you make of the fact that we see Nora making her 
making her living as a pigeon pigeon delivery person. Yeah. And this ranch is at like five pigeon way or something. I I don't know. That's just I mean it just might be a cute little That's just Lindelof. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. That sounds that sounds fine with me. Um is there anything that we gleaned about the uh, Okay. Why do we assume that Nora's gonna show up and the doctor's gonna be like, Oh, I guess you really, really wanna do I mean, is that is that the final test that they they tell you that you can't do it, and if you are so passionate about it that you track them down and find out anyway that they that they let you they let you in, maybe because otherwise she's be. just going to be a crazy person showing up with their dying of cancer religious nut job brother demanding another fucking shot at the box. Yeah, why would they give it to her? She hasn't recorded a video. She hasn't met anybody in a hotel room and convinced him to come with her. Right? Does she have her money on her? Uh, she did, yeah, because when she's when Lori said, says, I have hundreds, "Give me," yeah, yeah, she says, "I have a hundred. So presumably, she still got the twenty G's on her. Okay, yep. Uh, I don't know. It's interesting, and uh, I mean, I guess there's the possibility that Nora is going to turn these people in. Yeah. That she still wants to be the usher. Uh, after her conversation with Lori, I seriously doubt it. Well, it would be. I mean, it wouldn't be a character betrayal. It'd just be like. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of different ways you could spin that. The other thing I thought was interesting is we found out that it seems like the the, the doctors, the physicists, are lovers. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was interesting that when they're talking about why you don't use the box, the one um, uh, Dr. Eden says, uh, that's because everything I have, everything I need is right here. With the information we have now, she's referring to her lover that's sitting beside her. Okay. Yeah, her lover does not have that. She's like, yeah, I'd probably take it, except for you know the odds are you you materialize somewhere in the boundless emptiness of space and die immediately. Yeah, like what the fuck? That is a weird relational dynamic. It's like I'm not with you because I'm not I'm not still on I'm not still here because your love outweighs the existential pain I'm feeling. It's just that I'm not going to do the Pascal's wager of all of all Pascal's wager. Uh-huh. So I guess you'll do the pass of time with. Uh, That's like a little leftovers act, you know, mini mini play in, in microcosm, right? I guess. I mean, I look if you want to read so far into every single thing that everyone says when you're in a relationship. I think you won't be in a relationship for very fucking long. Well, I mean, I don't, all right. okay. If you think that's, you think it's interesting. You think that's reading too much into someone saying the reason I haven't killed myself in this box is because I, I don't think it, you know, huh? All right. I, I mean, I presume there are a lot of reasons that she hasn't killed herself and it's not just because she's unsure of the box. Right. Uh, potentially. We don't even know if these people have had uh, loved ones departed. Do we? Well, no. Like, we what's don't. her incentive to even get in I mean, the box we, we in the first know place? That like, they, I don't know. There's some kind of weird relationship with the doctor who invented it. That's, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a whole lot that we don't know. I'm just talking about the things we do know and if we can yeah. draw any conclusions from it. I just don't. I don't know. How's that important? I know. I just thought it was interesting. Okay. Something I liked about the, the you know, the yeah, it does the, recontextualize the, that moment. The investigation that Lori and Nora it gives it's it's more than just a plot A to plot B kind of thing. There's also things we fight figure out with the doctor, which might come in handy when Nora's dealing with them later. Because yeah, you know, I I do feel like we'll see, we'll certainly see more of Nora, and I don't think, and I'm I'm talking about not just in a hotel scene, like you know, an international assassin hotel scene. I think we will actually see, um her get into the box. I think we'll see, we'll see all that and the aftermath of it. Yeah. I mean, I do think 
we will see what happens next from that that cliff that hill uh-huh um i love the 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 all the scenes of Lori at the ranch where you know she's kind of taking in what everyone's saying that they want of Kevin and they all want him mm-hmm. to die for different reasons. And we all get those different like explanations. Like John, John wants to tell Evie that she's loved. Mm-hmm. Um, Grace wants Kevin to bring back or bring back the secret of the shoes that, that are, are missing. Uh-huh. Uh, senior wants him to bring back the missing piece of the song line. Michael, what does Michael want? We don't know what Michael wants, right? Michael feels like he's just along for the ride. Honestly, um, but this, this, this cop show, yeah, it's like, do you think, is he the real doubt, doubting Thomas? He might be. I mean, he's the one that brings Lori there, right? Yeah, but if you think about his reaction to Virgil wanting to kill Kevin, he was mm-hmm. also had a lot of misgivings about that, too, it seemed. Yeah. Like, his body language was a lot like, I'm going along with this against my better judgment, so maybe that's just how he rolls when you're <laughs> thinking about killing someone. Um, As he should. There's a lot of shit that's happening here that yeah. does not fly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and if if nothing happens on the seventh anniversary, then, you know, a lot of people are going to be seriously pissed off and seriously in jail. Mm-hmm. Well, like, so that's one of the funniest scenes in, in the whole series when Lori's in the house talking, I think, John and Michael. Mm-hmm. And Michael's freaking out about this cop finding the, the other cop's body because they just got it loosely hidden in the this parts of the symbol church and yeah. in the background you see like kind of like out of focus senior and grace leading the cop over here and senior picks up this this shovel mm-hmm. whacks the dude right in the head yeah knocks him out cold he's going to have long time long-term neurological disability because of this uh-huh. uh and 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 so senior gives this thing where he's like i if if this doesn't work, then everyone's going to be dead. If it does yeah. work, then I'll be happy to be in prison. That's an unfalsifiable statement, right? Yeah, so I, I have a huge problem with his methodology here because... Of an insane person's methodology, really? <laughs> yeah, so, so he has left out one crucial option here, which is nothing was going to happen in the first place. And he completely ignores... Because how do you distinguish between nothing happened... Right. And I saved the world. Exactly. Like there even, is no way to even distinguish. if he doesn't. Even if Kevin dies, yeah, and doesn't bring the song back, and he can't perform the song, he could rationalize it as like, oh, well, maybe Kevin doesn't need to sacrifice himself, Jesus style. Or worse yet, if Kevin does bring the song back and he dances it, and nothing happens, did he save the world or did nothing happen? Right. Or <laughs> if if he decides to go ahead with the dance with a piece missing and nothing happens, did yeah. was that good enough? The gods are like, right. Eh. Yeah, yeah. You, you you had a couple off bars there, but you know it's the spirit of the thing. Yeah, it, it, there's no way to tell, right? Which that's the kind of shit that drives me crazy when people start this, you know, magical thinking. Is there's right. literally nothing that you can do to bring them out of that state? Yeah, and I think that's more than anything what Lori realizes is in that this world, her job is kind of becoming obsolete. That's the big thing. Yeah, she uh, there. You know, I don't it's think that's true, but I think that's how she perceives it. Uh, for sure. I, I agree with you. I think that you got to think about, like, what's left for Lori after the seventh anniversary, right? Like, mm-hmm. if if something does happen, well, okay, let's see. Let's say nothing happens, right? It's the seventh anniversary. Nothing happens. These people are going to be completely unbearable. 
there, there's no convincing them that what they did wasn't the cause of nothing happening. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, she won't have answers for people because she doesn't have answers for herself. Maybe there's another supernatural event that doesn't help the supernatural event that happened um, with the sudden departure. Right. She can't give anybody closure. If some, if nothing, or sorry, if something does happen, uh, what use is she? Like, what answers does she have for anyone? Right. And to the extent that we've talked about, like, 2% of the population evenly distributed throughout the globe. And when I say evenly distributed, you know, that still allows for a person like Nora and for a whole town like Jarden. Right. Um, but but how, like, if one out of 50 people in your life would disappear, like, that's going to impact almost everyone on the earth. You're yeah. going to have a friend or lover or child or parent or something that's disappeared. Um, yeah. An uncle, something that's going to really fuck you up. And if Lori says that without... Any without any um, exception that people that you try to bring closure to, with when they have this departed, they get violently angry and reject it. Then she's essentially trying to heal a planet that is inoculated against any kind of therapy. Sure, because they don't want closure. Even Nora yeah. says, "I want closure." I don't think she does. I think she just wants to stop this bullshit. Yeah, which is not the same thing as closure. Right. Closure uh, is some kind of healing, whereas right. she just wants to be done with it. Right. And, and even she says, like, Lori says, like, you know, this is – and this is part of a great scene where they're staking out. And Nora, they start talking about the fact that, like, you know, you're – you, you in season one planted life-size replicas of my family in my kitchen mm-hmm. and did all this other kind of shady shit. And now you're trying to be all, you know, like you're a sane person. Um, Lori says, you know, death is easy. Closure is hard. Nora says, I want closure, and, you know, I think at that point, Lori kind of realizes, like, you know, you're not going to, that's, you, you, that's what you say, but. Yeah, I know suicidal when I see it. Exactly. She says you're not suicidal, so. Um, well, she said Matt's not suicidal. She didn't say that about Lori. About Nori? Nora, rather? Uh, yeah, Nora, exact, exactly. Uh, okay. I, I mean, the other thing about it is, so we get a conversation, you know, between Kevin and Lori where she says, and we find out that she was, in fact, pregnant. Her her baby was, in fact, departed. Um, she was actually looking at it when it fucking happened on the ultrasound. Uh, surprise, which, we, speaking of closure, surprise we got closure on that. That's something yeah, that has long been debated. And I thought, I honestly took it for a certainty yeah, that, that, sh- that fetus got departed. Alternatively, I thought that, like, if it didn't, then Lori decided to have an abortion because, fuck bringing a child into a world that no longer makes sense. And she she was kind of like that. She didn't want another kid. Kevin didn't want another kid. You know, it wasn't like she was all broken up because her baby got departed necessarily. It was more like, I don't have any answers for people. This is my identity. I no longer know who I am. But it is a weird cop. I, so I, 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 have a, I have a concern about that because I thought that, even though I guess I took it for granted that her baby, her fetus got raptured, Mm-hmm. Uh, got departed. Um, I always thought that was an interesting that made her and Kevin's story interesting. Uh, Nora and Kevin's story interesting because Nora lost everything, Kevin lost nothing, and yet he's just as fucked up because of his family, you know, situation. Yeah. Um, it seems that this almost recontextualizes that Lori kind of fell apart and everything fell apart. Although we know that you know already Kevin was cheating on her. And Tommy was having, you know, difficulty adjusting to, you know, life post-departure. And Jill was having a hard time. So it seems like yeah. even absent all that. But does it feel does it feel a weird or like a cheat to, to see that the Garveys had a loss 
stemming from the departure that we didn't know about until very late in season three? No, because they didn't know about it. I mean, the only one who knew about it, and I guess, you know, that set things in motion, but Kevin wasn't reacting to, oh, I've had a baby that was departed, right? Right. He's reacting to, my wife left me, my kids are upset, like, all those forces. And whether or not it was, you know, caused, ultimately, the root cause was this baby being departed, which I don't even think it was. Well, I mean, I, I think it was Lori's loss of self identity, right? Um, that caused her to go sort of off the deep end. But Kevin's an interesting case because he's the one we know most about, and we've seen pre departure, like his dad giving him the speech about, "Look, son, you got to stop this wanting life to be more shit. You've got a beautiful mm-hmm. family with a good wife and good kids and a beautiful house. And, like, you just need to be content with being, you know, a role. Your role is being a good father and a good husband." Mm-hmm. That apparently didn't sit very well with Kevin. So like Kevin, either of the Kevins, honestly, like even the guy giving the advice. But like you know, Kevin was acting out even before the departure, and it's so interesting to see that so much of what he was acting out, like he's like, "Hey, I wanted you to have this house because I wanted you to be happy." You know, pr- the previous episode, "Hey, I wanted you to have the dog. Mm-hmm. I wanted you to be happy." Did he, or was he just bearing down all this resentments about his own life and, you know, bearing them in the name of, well, Lori and the kids will be happy, goddammit. That's like a classic man mistake to make, to, like, Mm -hmm. sacrifice your happiness while you're secretly making everyone else miserable because you're just now this irrepressible fucking resentment monster. Yeah, I I think secretly is the key word there, right? We get a scene where they admit a whole bunch of stuff to each other this episode. But that's crazy because that happens, like, that's fucking happening every day without the departure. Right. Like, Kevin Kevin didn't lose his mind because of the departure. He had already... Absolutely, yeah. and, and, And are they trying to say that, like... I don't know what they're trying to say about that. I just think it's interesting that Kevin's root cause has nothing to do with the departure. And and, and, and if you want I, – I saw some people on Reddit trying to recontextualize like Lori loses. Like, oh, they did lose someone. Mm-hmm. So that, that's that's the whole – that's when Garvey's at their best hit the – no, no, that it didn't. Like that was the whole point. Yeah. Things were fucked up before then. And I think you can look at it as a way to say, okay, in this show, in this universe, we have this supernatural event. But it doesn't take a supernatural event for people to get this out of whack, right? Like this is a thing that is very much grounded in the reality as we understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Kevin serves as a good example for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. And the, the other thing about Lori is it's not just her identity. She also doesn't have the answers and no one has answers for her, right? Right. Like no one can – no one – she's been so busy helping, trying to help these other people out, um, trying to get them back on some kind of reasonable life track that mm-hmm. she hasn't even considered – you know, her own well-being a lot of the time. She's just, like, looking for those answers, Mm -hmm. but no one has them for her. The GR didn't have them. John and Matt certainly don't have them. But she thought she had an answer for them. She thought she had helped John. She thought she had helped Kevin. She thought she had helped these people, and then she finds out through the season that, you know, John kept from her the most painful thing that he had experienced. Yeah. Uh, The fact that he, like, couldn't let Evie go. Mm-hmm. And was desperate to see her, and that he would be. And I thought that was also a great scene where, like, John was sitting there. First of all, they're sitting at, at outside, they're drinking coffee, and they frame John underneath this like gingerbread work on the eaves of the house, where it looks like he's got like a Renaissance style halo. Yeah, I guess he's the true apostle in 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 contrast to Lori's uh, Judas. Uh-huh. I thought that was there's, there's a whole lot of this Judas shit that we can get into later. Yeah, um, but the fact that he 
wouldn't come clean to her and she had failed to make him, you know, to, to help him recover ultimately. Same thing with Kevin. Like, I, I feel like that more than anything is why she's like, every single time she had, you know, talked herself out of like suicide or the guilty remnant, she had then tried to come up with something or some some other purpose and her purpose was to help these people and then she ultimately is confronted with the fact that she didn't really help at all yeah um she made them better crazy people <laughs> um, yeah and this more is part, efficient crazy people and and this episode you know is the final letting go of that control right like okay maybe like she wants to be the usher mm-hmm. because she thinks that's important but she's seen that she can't be because these people just refuse to let her um, refuse to take her advice and are just kind of doing their own thing. And maybe it'll get them through, maybe it won't, but she's done, like, trying to control them, trying to push them in the direction that she feels they should go. And that's interesting because, like, along those lines of nobody has answer for her, like, when when you don't believe in the crazy things that that might help you get, get along in life, right? Like mm-hmm. John um, believing that he's going to see his daughter again or something. Um, Matt believing that he's got this purpose in Kevin, uh, same with Kevin Sr. When you don't believe in those things and you can't find a way to, like, heal yourself rationally, mm-hmm. what options do you have? Right. She, she's just not the person who's going to believe in this Kevin myth. So when you saw – when you see that John is saying at the end, like, kind of like, Am I, have, I, have I gone too far? Will you tell me? Yeah. Like, it's not too late for me to shred all this. Like, uh-huh. referring to, you know, their their guilt money that he shreds ritually. Why doesn't she just tell him, no, none of this is going to help? I think she's tried to, and it just hasn't worked. So she's just like, she's she's given up. That's like I said, yeah. I, don't, I disagree with your analysis about control, but I do agree with the sentiment that she's given up. It's just I think she's given up um, on being able to affect a positive change mm-hmm. and the people she cares about her most, and which sheds doubt on all of her work. That's, that, that's, that's what I mean when I okay. say the control. Um, she's trying to push these people in a direction, and they're not going. I mean, even like when when Nora asked her a hypothetical question of like, what if you had this young French submariner who was wanting to nuke Godzilla? What would you tell him? And uh-huh. she's like, you know, don't miss. That's not a serious answer, but <laughs> of course not. It highlights of like, you know, that this seems to be happening more and more when someone, in the face of this crazy cosmic coincidence or this divine intervention or whatever, like whatever answer you have, a scientific person can't stand up in there and say, well, that's stupid. <laughs> sure. I mean, you can try, but you're gonna get you're gonna mm-hmm. get shouted down. Uh, you're gonna be angry because you're trying to give someone closure for just to, to. You're trying to solve a problem that they don't want solved. The problem yeah. they want solved is they want their family back, right? And you know, and no one can tell them that that can't happen. You know, mm-hmm. like you can't say, well, it's stupid to think that your kid is going to come back into the backseat of your car. Yeah. Because it's stupid to think that he would disappear like that in the first place. Right. But that happened. That so happened. what do I say about that? Right. And it's, you know, like, again, if you go back to, like, why Tom Perota wrote The Leftovers as kind of a metaphor for Americans dealing with 9-11, like, mm, yeah. you know, same kind of thing. Like, how can you conceive of someone hijacking airplanes full of people yeah. and ramming it into civilian structures full of people because they fucking hate what you are doing and your position in the globe. So like, it's like such a weird political, it's like such a weird, like violence is a weird political statement, right? 
Sure. I mean, it's something that like, like most war. people can't conceive of. Like if you think of like war in the abstract, like World War One, World War Two, it's like some kind of Lovecraftian shared delusion where you're just going to flush a hundred million lives down the drain for what? Yeah. For what? Yeah. Um, for control. I, yeah, well, yeah <laughs> something. Fear, control, uh, patriotism, all kinds of different reasons. The other super important question in that scene, what does a physicist look like? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I want to know. I don't know. Someone said that that might have been a allusion to some other like drama. I thought it was just. Hmm. Okay. Um, I thought it was just Nora coming back at Matt's casual sexism, and then him revealing that it's like maybe something more innocent. Like, well, I'm in the lab. I was like, I don't know. Hmm. Okay, because I could. I believe Matt would be super sexist and not think that women could be physicists. All right. I also, believe... I just thought it was a wry line about like. Physicists don't look like anything. That's, They're just human beings. Right, right, right. But but you you start anytime someone says, like, if you meet um, – the stock joke is when a pretty woman comes in uh, and introduces herself as a nuclear physicist, you know, there, that's been a stock joke of, like, you don't sure don't look like any nuclear physicist I've ever heard of. Like, well, what the fuck does that even mean? Okay. But Matt's also such an innocent character and creature that he also could have just literally meant, like, oh, I thought they'd have a lab coat on or – as you know, if they something. wear them twenty four seven. Right, right. Well, I mean, at some point they did have lab coats on. Right. I guess that would make sense as a preacher because, of course, he doesn't wear the he doesn't wear the frock twenty four seven either. He doesn't does even he? wear clothes twenty four seven. No, Matt. clothing optional. What kind of preacher are you? <laughs> he doesn't look like a preacher. No, he just doesn't, especially with his beard. Um. Okay. What else do we want to talk about? I got like so many little things. So okay, let me see where you stand on this after last episode. Or not last episode, the one before it, um, the one where Kevin Senior was out on his his walkabout, and they have mm-hmm. this this end scene where he says, "You got the wrong Kevin." How are you feeling about that? Because I I still I, I still cling to the idea, and it, it's actually firmer after this episode that he thinks he's the guy. Kevin Senior is the guy because he's he's no. utilizing Kevin Junior to get the song so he can perform the rain dance. That will stop the. Flies. Well, he's got a pretty. He's got a pretty can, can, a cynical way of doing that because he's at. He's saying that oh, we got this Last Supper and our Jesus is missing. Mm-hmm. That's not the words of a man that thinks that he is the linchpin in all this. But he clearly does, right? He talks about how he wants Kevin to get the song from Sunday so that he can save the world, so Senior can save the world. Didn't he call Peter? Peter. Yeah, he Who? says I'm Peter because here's the thing, mm-hmm. like. I think that he's contextual. He's recontextualized his role. Is that yes, Jesus was important, but Peter was the rock mass. If not for Peter, then we wouldn't have the church. If not for the church, we wouldn't have Christianity. If not for Christianity, we wouldn't. So, like, it's almost it's it's this weird kind of way of um, like like he, he, after someone's proven him that he's not Jesus, like he wants the second you know me- mediest role. Like, okay, <laughs> okay, sure, yeah. Kevin's got to die for our sins. Mm-hmm. But if he, you know, if, if I don't do the dance, then it will be of nothing. Like, you know, if Peter and his his uh, fellow apostles just went back to fishing. Right. And just like, oh, pff, what a Jesus thing didn't work out, then we wouldn't we wouldn't have Christianity. Like, I, I kind of feel okay. like it's that. Because if he still thought he was the man, why would he why would he take the secondary position? Why would he go for the St. Peter instead of the Jesus? Yeah. I guess in his metaphor, he reveal something because um, that's the other thing is everyone wants something from kevin but of what no imp- one wants anything from senior that's the other right. i guess distinction i guess what importance 
is Kevin. I mean, he he's going to die so that he can get the song, like you know, make the sacrifice, mm-hmm. so he can get the song from Sunday, um, similar to how Jesus did, uh, died for our sins or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from Ke- I think from Kevin Senior's way of looking at this after studying the Aborigines, like maybe Kevin's literally atoning for humanity's sin that like you know you've almost wiped these people off the map like if it hadn't been for you we would have uh you know a a well-armed defense against a supernatural attack but since you know we've raped and pillaged the aboriginal world we are left defenseless and now kevin has to die to to undo that original sin well i think that's a pretty ethno white centric way of looking at world history but you know seniors crazy so i think there's a uh opportunity to mistake some of these um allusions that they're making and some of the comparisons they're making to different uh you know biblical or religious themes as like they sure make we it need easy. to we need to draw a one-to-one comparison here and i don't think that's what they're doing at all i think i actually sh- think when they do jesus stuff they don't mean that kevin is literally jesus and he's going to sacrifice himself okay, sure, and he's going to sure. save the world I think there's like a mishmash of stuff, right? I actually think you're right, yeah. but I also think they're really making it easy, like you know, when they have a scene at the table where yeah. they're all talking about the Last Supper and who. It, I mean, that right. shit we but were like, doing in episode two, right? But like Job, I mean, none of the stuff yeah, like no, literally right. happens you're to right. him. So you got to when you're thinking about this stuff, you can't say, "Oh, well, who's who's the Thomas here? Who's the Judas here?" Yeah, you can do that to a certain point, but. Beyond a certain point, it's not going to line up one to one. Yeah, right. Um, and it might, it might be. I mean, where the, last... the what's the thirty pieces of silver here? Is it the wine? It's is the it twenty thousand dollars? That's how like, much thirty pieces it... of silver are worth nowadays. But but Lori never got the twenty thousand dollars. What does that mean? Right. Well, it doesn't mean anything. They're not going with a direct one to one here. But it is. I think there are. It, it's it's it is intellectually satisfying. If you know these connections, you know the story of um, – like, like for example, you know, Judas um, – well, there's debate because one, one biblical account says that he threw himself from a, a high um, place and burst upon the rocks. Another says he hung himself. And, right. of course, and the, you know, uh, theologians have squared that, that – uh, uh, or uh, rounded that square by saying what he did is he'd like, like a Tom Hanks castaway and he hung himself off this big cliff – and the rope broke, and then he fell. So it's like both were true. Yeah. But it, I think it's funny that you know when when Lori is talking to Jill, and she's like, "What are you doing?" She goes, "Oh, I'm just hanging around," uh-huh. which can be seen as you know a fulfillment of that particular part of the Judas the Judas parallel, and the fact right. that she is betraying these people. Uh, the fact that she didn't even know that Judas committed suicide when she started the story, and that seemed to genuinely startle her. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also she's like, well, did he leave a note? We know that at one version of Lori committing suicide, she did try to leave a note. And then this one, of course, she doesn't. Um, I, I, like I said, I think it's intellectually satisfying. I also think it's part of you know a, a potential Damon Lindelof rope-a-dope where he's got us – you know, he, he, he is engaging in the same kind of shit on the show – Showing the main characters engaging in the same kind of biblical navel gazing that we've been doing this entire season, mm-hmm. and then the pull the rug out under the allegory because that's the thing. No, I, I want to remind everyone: no one fucking saw International Assassin before it happened. 
No one thought that Kevin would die and then wake up in a bathtub in his hotel and have this spiritual adventure, much less two mm-hmm. of them, where he'd end up pushing. No one called that. Yeah. So, like, we're all looking at and revelation. And that's the other thing is, like, I thought there was a little potential note of the rope-a-dope where they're talking about this, um, you know, French submariner. And he's got this thing that he's gotten from the biblical account of revelations. And Matt's like, <laughs> What a rube. He doesn't know the revelation's all allegorical. Mm-hmm. And even Nora says, oh, what? So only the stuff that's not patently ridiculous is to be taken literally? And he's like, exactly. Well, that's, you know, you tune in late night and any cable access television, you'll see preachers talking, you know, making literal, trying to point things that actually happen from revelation and where the Antichrist is and how, you know, politics fits in with this and what's going on with the Jews. Like, are they any more right than, than Matt's interpretation? Uh, No. Right. No, I don't think they are. It's I don't all... think they're any less right either. Yeah, everyone <laughs> – I mean, that's the thing. That's ultimately why, uh, more than anything, I turned away from the Bible because it came clear to me that the Bible can say whatever the hell you want it to say. Yeah. And where people disagree is just where you want to say, well, you know, you got to adjust with the times or, mm-hmm. well, this was just metaphorically speaking of, oh, well, this is an owl. Well, it's like whatever, you know? Right. Um, if it can mean ev- anything to anyone, then it can mean nothing to someone, namely me. So <laughs> <laughs> that's how, that's at the end. That's how my journey ended. Yeah. Um, I also, there's a lot of other stuff. Yeah. The, the fact, so sticking with this scene where she drugs everybody, Second and third watch, I thought it was really funny to see how early in the scene everyone is clearly being affected by the drug. Yeah, Grace is, like, immediate. Yeah. Boom. She's eating one carrot, and she's off to bed. Yeah, yeah. But, like, you know, um, like, like everyone's kind of, like, swallowing weird and blinking uh, weird way before I picked up on it um, when on my first watch. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And also how Lori turns conspiratorially toward the dog who is just sitting there loving it and how that kind of puts back the dog conspiracy. Oh god! They're fucking complicit, man. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Dog yeah. couldn't poison these people. He he'd struggle with the childproof. She they need the 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 human canine hybrid, yeah. Lori, to step in there and and doom them all. Uh, uh-huh. That was really funny. Lori means dog in ancient Hebrew. It does. It does. That's a fact. That yep. is a fact. That's um, fact. I the, the, but the scene of her turning that dog and just whispering, "I borrowed your pills." Yeah. so good, so good. That was pretty funny. Uh, I. I know this is obvious to a lot of people, but some people it might not be. This woman at the beginning who's talking about her child at the laundromat is actually from the first scene of the pilot. Um, yeah. We see that scene happen where she's yep. got her baby in the car. Mm-hmm. She goes inside. She does her laundry. She brings him out, and poofy has gone. Now, we didn't know her backstory, which is right. that her and her husband had tried heroically to have a child and spend $40,000 and done all this and led all this to grief, and then it just happened – you know, like like their own little miracle. Right. It's almost like an echo of let the mystery be, right? Like mm-hmm. the harder they tried, the less likely it was to happen almost, right? Mm-hmm. And then they stopped trying and, oh, what do you know? It happens. Right. Um, th- let's talk about the bag of shoes. Okay. We talked about that. Kevin's got a bag of shoes early on. We know that Grace has been uh, searching for the shoes of her children because they were never found. Right. And she wants... Uh, Kevin, I guess to ask them where the fuck are the shoes. Um, mm-hmm. what what do you think? What do you think is going on here? I think that someone explained that. Um, and I don't know whether this is directly said or we're supposed to infer this that that Grace is going to like the goodwills of yeah 
Australia, local to her, and going through all of the children's shoes to see if she can find hers because that's that's her piece of closure. Yep, they say that. Now it's also interesting that someone asserted on Reddit that someone had said something. Oh no, it was Grace. This episode said that my when someone disappeared, like a clerk disappeared in front of her, and the receipt that she was handing went with her. It's like she took it with her. Hmm. And okay. that's something that's implying that her husband had all the shoes. Because how, where, why else wouldn't she be able to find them? And like in in all this, the the ground her kids could have could have covered. So he, he was just holding all the shoes. That's what I was like. I don't like, like someone made that, made that someone made that assertion on a Reddit, and I'm like, I okay. When have you ever? Let's say you have how many children? Five children. She had a lot. She had a lot five, of, six, of adopted yeah. kids. Uh-huh. Let's say you have five kids. Mm-hmm. What scenario could you construct that you would possibly ever be holding all their shoes at the same time? I mean, yeah, you're packing. <laughs> you've got a, you got five, ten shoes in your arms. Yeah, you got a sh- like a bag that you're holding that has like all the kids' shoes in it because your shoes are awkward to pack. You know. So are you, you packing like socks and underwear like all separate suitcases? No, I, but I, like, I, this I think, is the, I shoe think case? the shoes is the thing that packs it because like what do you do? Put them on top of the clothes? Put them underneath the clothes? Like they're I think they're... you pack a bag for each kid. And you they're put the their thing, pair of shoes. They're in. the one thing. They're the one article of clothes we put on every day, except for maybe coats that are always filthy. That's true. Yeah. Like everything else, we we wash, mm-hmm. but our shoes are filthy. So that's why I was like, I like I've got a I got I got a a, a piece of luggage that separates the shoes. They have their own little zip compartment, so they're like you know yep. contained and hygienic. <laughs> I you're asking me to come up with. Them. I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I can see a dad. He's packing for every kid needs like you know they're the like they're gonna the wear beach. their flip flops, but they you know what if it rains? You need a pair of clothes to. So he's packing them all, and then whoop, he just goes. Yeah. And then the kids, apparently that's their only pair of shoes that I they guess got. so. It's, so it's they just wander out in the outback without no, without any any foot coverings. That seems like a bad idea. Yeah. All the funnel web spiders and I mean, coyotes drop got bears their shoes. and Sydney death adders and everything's out yeah. there in the wasteland. Koalas got their shoes. I think you <laughs> should be checking the koalas. Yeah. Frisking them. Yeah. Well, you, if you wear... See, they're these hippie parents, and they were wearing the eucalyptus. It's like the their version <laughs> of hemp. shoes? Like hemp clothing. It's all made out of eucalyptus. That's, yeah... Uh huh. The, the koalas descended like like a pack of zombies and just went crazy on these kids' feet. Wow. Uh, there are a couple of choice lines. I mean, there are a lot of them, which mm-hmm. which have just these loaded lines, like uh, when when they're talking about Kevin being out on his horse, and he's uh, Laurie says Kevin will be back. He always comes back, which we know that applies more than she even realizes. Right. Uh, I like that a lot. Uh, what do we make of uh, the Kevin uh, and Lori saying goodbye? Because it, it, they it, they they part with a kiss. Mm-hmm. So, and a lot of people made. Um, in fact, this might be an email that I'm stepping on, but I can't ever remember the stuff that I read on Reddit and the stuff that I'm going to read later in the feedback because yeah. uh, it's just it all blends together in the the one big research binge. Uh, but someone said that like there's a lot of parallels to Jesus last night on Earth in the Garden of Gethsemane that he goes. Uh, tells his disciples or his apostles to keep watch. He goes off into the um, to the garden to pray. Comes back and finds them all asleep. Mm-hmm. Judas Judas creeps in and betrays him with a kiss. Like you know, because like I guess the Pharisees, it's dark in this garden. They don't know who to snatch up. So Judas says, "I'm going to go up and give a big old kiss to somebody." And you grab that dude. Um, and then Lori's as she's saying goodbye, she gives him a peck on the the cheek. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought again, intellectually satisfying to see all that stuff. Kind of. Uh, go to pass uh and then Lori giving him jill's lighter 
what does that mean? I mean, she's off to kill herself. But does it mean anything to Kevin? Um, I mean, it's going to be something he'll have of that relationship between the mother and daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that, I don't know. He said the place I went to, he's talking about how I'm not scared to die because the place I went to, I was never more alive. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Because, I mean, it he, does seem he like... got clarity from it. For but it didn't time. last. I know. Okay. But he came back from that place, right? Right. So being never more alive in that place, well, he comes back and now he's dead again, essentially, <laughs> in his own mind. It's just so funny to me that it seemed like he had this epiphany of how much he needed family, mm-hmm. and then that epiphany just didn't stick. And I'm not sure why. Yeah. Is it that you forget the lessons that you've had? Do you forget the epiphanies? Do you, does it need to be refreshed? Does it... Yeah, to a degree. Is the fact that, like, is, is or is the story that he was he was happy and content, but everyone around him didn't have that same epiphany, so they drug him down. Like uh, Nora and John and Matt and Michael, they all get together and they want something different from him, and they're chronicling the stories and just won't let it go, and that eventually drags him, drags him down. I guess. I mean, it's a tough sell on that because of where we open with Kevin this season with the fucking bag on his head. Like, sure. I mean, maybe that's all because oh, his family's just not right. Like I'm right, but my family's not right. Well, like, I mean, this he, bag he doesn't even head, know. But... Like he doesn't know they're writing a book about him, but he can yeah. tell there's something. You know, because like that's the thing. Like I guess we rejoined the story when everything's go. falling apart. Matt's wife's leaving him. Right, and it's been three years. Yeah, John things with his Evie things coming to a head, and like he has to know that like of all these characters that are you know close to him, and that everyone has has been acting weird like nora gave up lily but she won't talk about it and yeah. that's been a strain like i we don't know when he started putting the bag on his head mm-hmm. uh it doesn't seem like it seems like the theory that maybe he's putting his bag on the head to ritually kill himself it seems like that's wrong i think you're right yeah. there's no way that, that unless kevin is lying and, and shading the truth to Lori, and i felt like he was telling 100 the truth like maybe not the whole truth but he wouldn't be making shit up he wouldn't a man like that wouldn't be talking this way if he was killing himself and resurrecting himself all the time well i think the biggest thing is i'm not sure i guess why he rides off into the outback you know to to have a think as kevin senior puts it um it seems like a man who was killing himself every morning and going to this place where he was never better yeah um wouldn't have much to think about when it comes to killing well except the one difference they're not in Jarden. They're not. Even okay. Matt said, I don't, of course I don't think you're immortal. It's just when you're in Jarden. Yeah. I wonder, they haven't really talked about, I, I know, I know Matt was desperate to get him back. Mm-hmm. He gave up that. He he gave up his control when he saw that God can take care of his own damn self, mm-hmm. you know, with the, with vis-a-vis the lions. Although that doesn't really bear scrutiny because if Matt hadn't done the things Matt did on that boat, God would have gotten away scot-free and maybe not have made a break for it when the lion was released. And, you know, like, it's it's a weird lesson to go, like, hey, I saw a crime, reported it, was the only one, tried my damnedest to bring attention to it. And then, oh, God took care of it in the end when the lion ate the guy. This is the idea of meeting God halfway. Yeah, like, you know, God helps them who helps themselves. Like, the, uh-huh. it's weird to be like, okay, well, I'll just fucking fuck the whole jarred miracle business that I've been preaching for low these many years. Yeah. I don't I don't know how to square that with his the fact that he, and I don't even know if he's going to be there. 
Yeah, he's out with Nora at the moment. Right. I'm that, not even sure he knows where Kevin is. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm trying to think if there's scenes where Matt is in the flood from the beginning, like from the, um, uh, you know, previews we saw in the preseason, but I, I can't. I'm drawing a blank. Yeah. I know I've certainly seen John uh, and Kevin and Senior in, in, like, pictures in a torrential downpour, but yeah. anyway, uh, what else do you want to talk about? Um, let's talk about what we learned about the, the arc that's being built here. What did we um, learn about it? It's not actually really an arc. It's that they were building because they thought some apocalyptic mm-hmm. thing was going to happen. They, it was uh, essentially a tribute to a kid who died, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the cousins came up and put a mark on the land, as they said. They tore down the church to, to build this boat. But wasn't... And then Kevin got there and interpreted it his way. Okay, so... Senior. I thought they were talking about the shrine she built to her children. Like, I feel like there's two different memorials that we're talking about. Mm, there is I don't the think boat. So. Well, then what the hell is that? Because that's the that's the spot that she built. The kid loved boats. But who? The kid who died. But all the kids died. Well, is there a... one of the kids in particular, like his cousins, came in. Yeah, I and think built this, this is thing. all muddled because I. I don't think it is. But well, she okay. said. But she said that she had. I thought she said last episode that she told them to use part of the church to build the shrine that she found senior under last. Now she's building a separate shrine for just one of the kids that love boats? I mean, that's what they said. I'm just saying it doesn't really make sense. Okay. Although I guess once you start taking apart your church because you don't believe in God anymore, then you go crazy with it. (laughs) <laughs> all right yeah uh, i mean you're good i almost thought the church may- has a big hole in it from where you built the cross i guess well, build the boat. I, I almost i was trying to understand like maybe that was another local boy that went missing that she yeah wasn't... i forget which boat it was um yeah just a boy who loved boats well if they're not going to for sure they're not this boat is not going to be part of any kind of resolution because there's no way they're going to finish it in 24 hours Right, but I like how it's tied into both Kevin and John's uh, Kevin Senior and John's story now. Right, like mm-hmm. it it was really interesting to me when John was explaining to Lori why he is going along with Senior here. Mm-hmm. You know, if he, as he says, throws out Senior's story, he's got to throw out his own about Evie, about mm-hmm. seeing her again, and I think that's something he is completely unwilling to do. Yeah. That is that was a great scene where yeah. it, it reminds me of like when you're a little kid and you're telling. You know, you're collaboratively, you know, pretending you're doing pretend and like some kid has something that's like a little bit outlandish, but you're like, well, shit, if I guess, you know, know, he's got force fields, then like my freeze tag shit doesn't work anymore. It's like I can't I can't call bullshit on his thing because it would call bullshit on mine. What do you call that? Um, I don't know. Is that like. I've often thought it interesting because, like, very rarely do you see, like, conspiracy theorists tear apart other conspiracy theorists. You'd think it would be more common. Mm-hmm. Like, instead, like, when, when someone's got, like, 11 different reasons that the 9-11 was an inside job, you think that the person, that the champion's reason number one would shit all over reason number 11 because they both can't be true. Right. But well, it's the same they, thing with they religion, treat it right? as They treat it as this, like, vast interlocking thing that's very rarely that they're antagonists towards each other. Hmm. In fact, I can't. I can't think of a single time where I've seen a conspiracy theorist take the piss at another conspiracy theorist and be like, well, that's just crazy. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, no, I actually know because the Art Bell Coast to Coast guy, he had a hard no at 9-11 truthers. 
Okay. Like chemtrails, sure. Black helicopters, give it to me. <laughs> Reborn incarnations of the god Neptune, I want to hear all about it. Alien faces on Mars. 9-11 truthers, get the fuck out. There's the door, you fuckers. <laughs> you sick fuck. And I think you he's deluded also, I think he's also added Sandy Hook deniers to that list as well. Oh, yeah? So I guess okay. there are... There are in the there's margins lines. ethical conspiracy theorists that there's just like there's a line that can be crossed and, and there it is. Yeah. Uh, uh, but that was another great scene. I mean, John yep. and Laurie here um, kind of explaining why John's on this mission as well. And and, you know, what he wants to to let Evie know, not not to ask her, like, why she abandoned her family, which mm. is, you know, one of the questions that everybody comes to them wanting to know. Right. To get closure. He just wants her to know that she was loved. And I think that is. As Laurie says, beautiful. Yeah. It's you know? a very unselfish thing. Yeah. Like, uh, completely different from where John would have been three years ago. Oh, yeah. Um, one other thing I want to talk about is uh, the god-awful throw-up scene. Yeah. I feel like the big three have been going, like, like Breaking Bad, or Better Call Saul and Fargo went mano a mano last week with the worst off-screen beatings in cinematic history. Uh, and now Fargo and... Uh, the leftovers are going gastro a gastro on just fucking repugnant th- throwing up scenes. Uh-huh. Um, she got her feet the first time. Yeah, which, it's uh. just like I I can't I I I watched a woman get stoned alive. I had to turn away the last evacuation because I'm like, <laughs> oh God, no, no, yeah, full body vomiting on one's feet. Just <laughs> it's terrible. It's the worst. <laughs> and then when she's unbuttoning her shirt she's got vomit all over that and it's yeah. just ah, mm-hmm. yeah yeah mom spaghetti everywhere Ugh. uh pregnancy watch Nora got her iud taken out before mm-hmm. she went to the airport before she went to the airport right which means when her and kevin had illicit border sex uh presumably like and oh by the way i didn't mention it but i had a lot of women talk about that you can indeed get pregnant with uh, with an IUD now, you can. It's possible. It's yeah. possible. Like their 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 stated efficacy is like ninety nine point eight percent, but yeah. like it can fall out spontaneously. And there's other like I, I think I don't see how it can, you can be pregnant if it's intact and because like it's a it's either it, it's it's a piece it's it's a piece of copper stuck in your womb, uh, hanging out your cervix, uh, or it's a hormonal implant doing the same thing. I just like mechanically, it doesn't seem like. You, you could you could make something like that happen, but I do believe that you know it can fall out or it can be misplaced or well not misplaced it could just fall out yeah um, or I suppose like the hormone packet run up it still it's jammed up in there in that cervix it could be removed by a by a nefarious doctor who's it examining could. you for radiation it treatment could get, it could suddenly depart that's uh, why the, that's yeah. actually the the point two percent failure rate mm-hmm. spontaneous departures of <laughs> intrauterine devices. It's so, something nobody wants to talk about. Yeah, well, oh, yeah, you got your 9-11s, your Sandy Hook, but no one wants to talk about the 0.2% IUD departure rate. And the radiation they leave behind, too. Uh, but regar- regardless of the efficacy of IUD, she had it taken out. Um, yeah, so I have written in my notes, had it taken out, quote, before Lori got to the hotel, which to me says after Oh, that was a quote? Because I thought you said before the airport. I mean, as I have it written down, maybe I'm wrong about okay. that. But well, I didn't have it written down. So if that's all... the case, then it would be after the examination with the doctor, right? Like, yeah, um, it would be after the argument with Kevin. Why after the would she do that? Because that, I, I honestly, I can't, 
I wish that Lori had explored that a little bit. Because they had broken up and she didn't need it anymore, maybe? That's a pretty rash decision. I'm going to rip something out of my cervix. I mean, that argument was pretty fucking final. I know that, but (laughs) she's like, she's just done with men. Well, for now. I'm going to jump. Is that when she made the decision that she's going to jump in the microwave box? So, right. That's the question I have. Like, does this, does she think this improves her chances? Of getting accepted somehow. Oh, maybe she's like trying to meet. You have the IUD. Yeah, she's trying to meet some perceived criteria. But just guessing what they want. If that was why she failed, then why would they do the examination? Yeah, I mean, it's magical thinking. I can. Right, right. It could be just she's delusional. Right on. Um, Okay. I don't know. That that was just a question I had. No, I, I, you know, we haven't talked about the the final suicide scene. Yeah, let's talk about it. I thought, sure, when Jill and Tommy <laughs> called her, that that was going to be the sign that this isn't going to work out the way you want it to. This isn't going to be – this is going to – not. this is no longer elegant, and she would realize that hmm. he, here are the two victories. Here are the two best things that she's done, And but they're still young, and they're in a fragile place, and they still need their mother, and I, I can't do this. You know, like suicide – you know, is is it's not about you in the end, it's about the people you leave behind and the effect it's gonna have on them. Um Are you were you surprised that she went through with it at the end? Um I guess after that phone call, yeah, I had a similar feeling to what you did. Um but if you want to go the other way, knowing that she does commit suicide, you could say maybe she does it because she realizes that her kids are gonna be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, they seem to have a very normal relationship. They have each other. Kevin doesn't need her. John doesn't need her. N- nobody, nobody needs her anymore. Yeah. Um, she doesn't have any work left to do, and so, in order to end the suffering that she has been unable to heal from for herself, and she was suffering, like you she know. was, yeah, clearly depressed for what seven years now. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. Um, that's that's kind of how I read it as as why she made that choice. She knew everyone was going to be okay without her. Yeah, I just think that part of that calculus was the elegance that, you know, that Nora was giving her in this death. That it was, yeah. it really is. Like, I was thinking about it. I was like, wow, that is like mountain climbers, you know? Like, it's so easy to die. Mm-hmm. If you were suicidal, you could just do that, and everybody would, instead of feeling like, oh, God, why did he, you know? But you could just carry that secret to your grave that you were, you had this, this hole inside you this whole time. Yeah, sure. But I just find it hard to believe that she's going to be like, oh, yeah, oh, I don't know what your dad's doing in Australia. Uh, no, I'm not in Sydney Harbor. I'm just hanging out. And then she's going <laughs> to die, and there's going to be a lot of questions, and it's going to be messy, and it's going to be inelegant. Mm-hmm. Um, now I don't know that it's they'll possible. jump to, like, uh, mom committed suicide. Right. But mom is acting dodgy in weird circumstances over with her ex-husband and his new lover. Uh, it, I mean, Nora certainly would. Yeah. Nora would make that connection, um, given the conversation they had. But I don't know if she's going to have much contact with Kevin and his kids Yeah, at this point. Did you think the old man on the boat was pretty fucking pushy? Like, I get yeah. there's a storm coming in, but, like, I'm going to be down here for an hour, five minutes uh, or not. You know, am I, you yeah, going to let yeah. me dive or not, old man? Right. Take it out of my time. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to have this fucking like, conversation. You know what? If you want to say you're going to be wheels up and propping out of here in an hour, let me know. I'll put it in my dive computer. <laughs> Otherwise, go fuck yourself. Here's the thing. I want to, like, okay, so maybe Lori found an elegant way out 
and she didn't think that there were any victims. But I feel like this guy on the boat is a victim. I goddamn, I'm glad you said so, that because I'm convinced too that we're going to get a throwaway thing of a man who his experienced shipwreck and his presumed loss. Right. With, with when that and that actually might be the thing that like. You know, they they assume that Lori was lost in the same catastrophe because he's talking right. about this biblical storm coming in and it's dangerous and you maybe and, and how like what is what is going to happen here? Like think this through. You you go overboard, right? You didn't tell the guy you're committing suicide, right? You so don't have any wait. way to communicate. Right. He's going to wait around. How long does he wait? If he's a good person, he waits a good fucking long time, as it's, long as possible. Yeah. Like I don't care if this is the perfect fucking storm coming in, right? You've got to wait. You've got to call the authorities. The Coast Guard. Now, it does seem like he is kind of in Sydney Harbor. He's pretty close, I think, to, yeah. the, to the land. Or Melbourne Harbor. I, I, I yeah. didn't see the Opera House. It's the, literally the only way I would know it was Sydney or Melbourne or any, any other um, city. The so, Opera House. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if I saw that, I would know. Uh-huh. I'd see. I, I would know. But otherwise, um, yeah, it does seem like I, I wouldn't be surprised if we hear some kind of um, background TV shot talking about this uh, yeah. boat charter guy who died, lost his life with a, 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 an American scuba diver yeah. in the storm. I mean, it depends on the size of the storm, I guess, but it looks like it could be it doesn't big. doesn't have to be a big storm to jeopardize a small craft. That's true. Is the thing. Yeah. Like, it doesn't take very big seas at all to fuck, fuck up your life when you're in a little little boat. So, And I have a feeling the storm's going to be pretty big. I think it's going to. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh I don't know if it's going to be deluge, uh-huh. like 40 days and 40 nights, but it's going to be significant. Um, yeah. And then the Today Special, like, I'd never heard of that show. Um, I did I see. I did what? Did you look up the theme song? Nope. Um, crazy how in the 80s, like, Mannequins Coming to Life was a big thing. There was the movie Mannequin. There's Today Special, mm-hmm. which is about the mannequin that comes to life every night. Um, yeah. I don't know what it, what was in the water with ni- 80s and mannequins. But, oh, uh, that was the Chucky era, too. It's like dolls sure, coming right, to dolls life. Right, dolls coming to life now, Anna, but it's all spiritually linked hmm. uh, to the leftovers now. Um, all right, well, I, I don't have anything else to talk about. I, I have don't a, either. A, a giant swollen bag of feedback, though. All right, let's do it. Before we get to feedback, I want to talk to you about club.baldmove.com. Um as in most weeks of this year, we're going to have a little snippet of uh, club coverage to kind of entice you at the end of this episode. It's going to be a segment of, I think it's it's not debatable to say it's the most popular club feature, the, the lunch with Jim and Aaron that happens on Friday, where yeah. we get in front of cameras, we have a podcast version, but there's some audiovisual component of it. Uh, this is me going off about a drug called Movantic and their Movantic movement campaign that Hulu shoves down my throat every time I watch The Handmaid's Tale. I think it's kind of funny. Um, And it's the kind of premium content you get when you sign up for club.baldmove.com. Not only do you get the satisfaction that you are supporting independent podcasters that are just just doing this uh, for the love. Actually, it's not just for the love. It's for the money as well. It's both. For the love it, and it the money. It can be both. It's, it's yeah. mostly love, but also some money. You can't have the love without the money. Right. You get nothing without the money. Right. You get two dudes working in IT jobs in obscurity. <laughs> <laughs> yes, which is how we were before all this started. Right. Uh, but you get other stuff. Ad-free feeds, uh, video feeds of the podcast, which is the fastest way to get it. Uh, you get other things like our video game playthroughs and our little one-off stuff like Quit Your Pitching and, and Silent Movies. Uh, all that stuff can be found on the pitch page at club.baldmove.com. And also stay tuned to the end of this episode for a discussion of the Movantic moment. Leftovers of baldmove.com is how you get considered for this segment. Carmelita in California, we have five or six about last week. 
Uh, after watching season three, episode five, and the preview for season three, episode six, I felt like I needed to go back and rewatch the most powerful adversary. If Virgil in this episode is to be believed, he took a trip to the other place after being shot and describes coming back as being reborn. He mentions that Edward, the man on the pillar, was also a success story of his. It seems like the other place is more about working out your personal shit rather than humanities. Although, note, the man still was on the pillar. Mm-hmm. I'm still open to the various possibilities, supernatural, rational, or a mix of the two. I'm just not ready to buy that Kevin is the second coming. I did. First of all, it's either supernatural or rational. There is no mix of the two. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Can we just say that? Right. Like, the, there, is, there, is the, there is the walking where you're not sure, but you can't have a mix of the supernatural and rational. rational. Yeah. That just doesn't work. Um, let's see. I'm not ready to buy, or I'm just not ready to buy that Kevin is the second coming. I did, however, buy one of those dope Kevin Day Adventist t-shirts. Oh, <laughs> okay. Stealth ad right in the middle of feedback. Didn't see that coming. Boom. Virgil also tells Kevin in that episode that drowning isn't the best way to cross over to the other place because there's no exit strategy. If that's foreshadowing, it doesn't bode well for seniors playing to drown Kevin. Well, I mean, he does have Ke- this, senior is the exit strategy, like here. tying an anchor to your th- and throwing is right. not you got because because you know other than a divine intervention of an earthquake, you're fucking if you come back, you're still yeah anchored at the bottom of the at lake. At the very best, you're stuck in an endless loop. <laughs> yes, of, of dying, going to the hotel, coming back, dying, going to the, yes, yeah. yes, until your body slowly it's like some kind of <laughs> fucking hell at that. It's a Promethean hell. Oh, how pruny are you when you come out oh, of that? So pruny. Uh, eventually you would, you know, like, I feel like your ankle bone would detach, and mm, you'd yeah. to, but you would be a pitiable, pitiable state at that point. You would. Um, so, he, yeah, I mean, that's the thing is that's in context, right? Uh, senior f- strapping him to a teeter totter and holding him down is he has an exit strategy at senior. Yeah. Letting him back up, presumably. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't feel like it's that as foreboding, although a plain reading of it shows that like maybe Lindelof will feel otherwise. Can we talk about stuff that we saw in the season previews? Uh, nah, you want to do that towards the end? But by, by the way, I've got okay. Two, I got two negative takes on this that I'm saving to the end of feedback. Oh um, boy! So if you are the ones that think that we're blowing too much sunshine up, uh, that, that those takes are coming. Uh, Denise D one let us know the dirty version of the panda joke. Um, so. Panda walks into a bar, asks a bartender how he can get a little action for the night. The bartender motions to a young woman who talks up the panda. They go back to her place. After having sex, the panda abruptly leaves. The next night, the woman goes to Panda's house and says, You owe me money. For what, the panda says. The woman rolls her eyes and explains, I'm a prostitute. The panda pulls out a dictionary and looks uh, up uh, the word prostitute, has sex for money. Uh, the panda says, I don't have to pay you. I'm a panda. Look it up. She's about to protest when the bear hands her the dictionary. One looks up panda, and it says, panda eats bush and leaves. Mm-hmm. Doesn't say anything but, about uh, not paying. No. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, it doesn't say eats eats bush, pays, and then leaves. Yeah. Just eats bush and leaves. It's, it's the implication. Okay. I, I agree. Matt's joke still better. Yeah. Uh, Shelby R., um, from the poem that the uh, French submariner read, the monster at the end of mankind with its seven heads and seven flaming mouths, and our set, and we have seven of our beloved characters in Australia: Nora, Junior, Senior, Laurie, Matt, John, and Michael. Are they collectively the seven-headed beast? And by coming together to try to save the world, will they end up destroying it? Hmm. Well, now we're down to six. Sounds like the guy missed. If that's the case, yeah, <laughs> it's true. The, the nuke. The nuke was uh, aimed at the wrong volcano. Yeah. 
Dallas S. Just finished listening to this week's podcast and surprised that there wasn't any feedback from you two or another listener about how crazy or stupid it is to think that the wire lioness setup is going to harvest any semen from Matt. Here are my reasons. <laughs> oh, boy. I, okay. I love yep. it. I love it so much. Uh, you can't simply put vacuum suction on a penis and expect to get ejaculate without some sort of arousal. Matt did not seem aroused at all. Two, even if they were able to arouse Matt <laughs> to the point that he would ejaculate, the end of the harvester was pretty much just a light fixture. It would do a terrible job of creating a seal for suctioning jizz up a tube. Three, even if the harvester is able to get a good seal and is able to suction oh, up the jizz boy. from Matt's organ, did you see the length of the tube? Let's assume it's 120 inches long with a one-inch diameter. That's a volume of 57 cubic inches. Change that to milliliters, and it's 926 milliliters, or almost a full liter of jizz. I mean, I think you're making assumptions about Matt. Well, <laughs> and that's just to fill the tube. The average ejaculate is 2 to 5 milliliters. Whoa, Mr. Mm-hmm. Big Shot here. Using a harvesting method like the wire linus would be about as effective as when you have a drop of milkshake left at the bottom of the cup and you try to suck it up through the straw. You can suck all you want, but that drop ain't getting any further to the end of the straw. <laughs> and he ends thoughts. Um, yeah, they need like, I love you, some kind of That's my thought. jizz sabo, I think, is what they need. Uh, that will help convey it up the tube. I, it's almost like this is a kinky fetish and not designed to yeah. do anything of value at all. <laughs> Does it make any difference if they go immediately from Matt to like the next 97 dudes on the... On the boat, right? It takes a village, right? It takes a village. You to wouldn't fill serve a someone the bottom of that milkshake. Yeah. yeah, you would serve them the whole milkshake. That's what I'm saying. You're telling me <laughs> that nobody's coming to this thing and just be like 1201. I'm Fraser. Yeah, like it seems like that's what you're there. You're there to get the Fraser treatment. So yeah. why wouldn't everybody just be like, I'm Fraser. I'm Fraser. Oh, by the way, I'm Fraser. But, like, can a woman be Fraser? Hmm, that's a good question. No, no, they can't. You can't have transline? No, they can do whatever they want, remember? So that the set of everything they want could be being Frasier. That's true. They I, they could probably volunteer to be Frasier, but I don't think mm-hmm. the rule applies to them, is mm-hmm. my point. Because they can't be bound. So they can right. say Frasier all they want, but... Yeah. Um, all right, whatever. <laughs> I've lost interest in this. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> Ryan, today's special is one of my favorite shows as a kid. I'm 35. <laughs> But using its double entendre in this episode kind of blew me away on such a deep level. I don't really care how the show ends now. I'm sad regarding Laurie, but the writing skill fueling this ep- show is epic television uh, and is restored by t- faith in television. Yeah. Other issues I've been considering. All this talk about twins. What happened to the twins from season one? In the pilot, they with Jill bury a dog and had this whole conversation about how eventually all people eventually go primal after experiencing the departure that the dogs have already done. Do we think the twins are going to come back? I don't see yeah, the I'm, twins coming back. I mean, next episode, yeah, stay tuned. That's okay. what I would say. I think next episode might have some more info on the twins. Um, three, Nor's departure survey. Can't remember the episode, but one of the questions in Nor's survey was whether you were thinking negatively about the person at the time that disappeared. Mm-hmm. Seeing the first victim of the departure we are introduced to in the pilot appear tonight with the laundry baby person brought this back that somehow someone not wanting that person actually made them depart. Because it's interesting, because when we saw that, we saw a woman who was frustrated with her baby. She's having a moment where it's like, oh, fucking for shit's sake, why won't this baby stop crying? Yeah. Uh, and then the thing departed. But now we recontextualize that as seeing her desperately wanting the baby. And maybe that one, uh, she had this one moment of weakness. Mm-hmm. Side note, she has problems getting change from a coin machine, much like Nora has had earlier this season. Does yeah. that mean anything? Well, I, I mean, it's also it brought up again 
in this episode um, twice, I suppose, where Kevin and Lori didn't want that baby either. Neither of them did. So I don't know, potentially. But weird because Kevin... And, and it's wrapped up in the guilt. I mean, that's the whole point of the guilty remnant. Like, I don't get Kevin because Kevin, Kevin, everyone says he's running from a family. Mm-hmm. And yet we're pretty sure that the wish that Holy Wayne granted to him in season one was to have a, a family back. Mm-hmm. And him singing Homeward Bound seems a pretty plain reading that he misses his family and he just wants to be back now. So what what is it? Like, what is his... Does he have two equally strong competing subconscious desires to both run from and embrace the nearest family? Yeah. I mean, he's certainly a complicated character. Uh, and I'm not sure I totally understand him. I think he should fall into line, people. Seems like he'd take yeah. that, like, duck to water. Uh, Zach he could in- fill that fucking Frasier. Hell yeah, he, he could. would fucking fill it. He could ride up on that horse, looking rugged as hell. So <laughs> I put that fucking thing on it. I got your leader right here. I got your two leader. Yep. Zach M. Isn't it funny how Jill Slider says "Don't forget me," and yet we've seen her of, for all of five seconds this season? Yeah, <laughs> brutal, it's brutal, funny. but fair. David from North Carolina. So I'm getting the bad feeling we could be heading towards the Sopranos cut to black without any answers type ending. I think we're going back to the hotel and we'll see all the dead people. But before we can find out if Kevin is actually going to come back, it will fade to black without answering anything, leaving the viewer to decide. Hmm. Would that be fitting enough for you guys? Or like me, do you want something more concrete? I don't know what I want, but I am regretting my talk about Lindelof not being depressing ending this show because I found this episode not uplifting. Like, like the most rational character committing suicide is a bad way to go. In my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess I don't need anything definitive. I'm, I'm really not sure. Like, honestly, I'm along for the ride at this point. Yeah. I've Um, tried cool with letting the mystery be, uh-huh. I don't need to know anything about that. Um, but where we leave the characters and how they feel about the situation and maybe, like, what they think about their own actions over the course of these last two episodes I think is going to be important. I agree. And I and I guess I've always – like, my first experience with a disappointing or dissatisfying ending of something was, like, when I, when I saw Braveheart. I was, like, 18. I'd never seen a movie where the, where the hero – that, Dies, you know, like yeah. the, the bad guys win essentially. Yeah, and I know that in the very next the scene, it's right. the Scotch eventually. It's the Scottish eventually uh, uh, get their independence, um, mm-hmm. kind of sorta. But sure is a bummer, um, and also makes the hero's death kind of more senseless. Um, and of course, that's supposedly a historical account, um, and you're kind of hamstrung on what you can do. But I guess. I always said I just wanted it to be as satisfying as the previous season endings, but part of that satisfaction was that it was more or less a happy ending. It was a hopeful, optimistic ending, and this right. this episode was not. Now, no, surely, I've you know previous episodes have seen tragic figures like Patty die, and uh, you know like Gladys getting stoned to death, and. So so they, there's always like kind of darkest before the dawn, mm-hmm. but I'm starting to get scared that it might be like I might say it's artistically valid, but it feels unsatisfying because it's just epically sad and there's no promise of anything good happening. Yeah, could be. Um, but I I don't have I don't have I'm trying very hard to 
draw lines like, oh, I need to see everyone come back, or oh, I want to see nothing, or oh, I got it's got to be supernatural, or oh, it's got to be rational. Like I, I just need it to to feel as satisfying emotionally as the other two finales we've already got. I think if I did try and come up with something, I would just disappoint myself. Like they're yeah. going to come up with something better than I could ever think of. Right. So I mean, we tried really hard to predict the future, like in the, the previous season, and like mm-hmm. I said, no one saw. Yeah. Uh, international sash, session and homeward bound coming. Period. Right. So like, what's the point? Yeah. And and that was all awesome and great. So I don't know. I mean, I do am a little afraid because I do think that there's nothing that can take away how good the other two seasons are. But if this season kind of fucks up or isn't as satisfying, I will think what was the point? Mm-hmm. I will think like, man, I would rather the universe have been left at that previous state than this state. But I guess mm-hmm. I can always just pretend that this never happened. It's true. Uh, Jamie T. I think Lori and I have the same personality type, so I'm going to be bold and say I have a good grasp on her journey in these last seven years. Lori lives to help people, not in physical ways, but mental ways. She's gifted at sorting people's mental lives out, and helping them with their suffering is incredibly rewarding for her. Over her 30-plus years, she's built a logical framework for the world that makes sense to her, but she's able to understand other people's frameworks, too, and work within those to ease their pain. When the departure happened, her framework was completely destroyed. None of her old answers worked, so she considered killing herself, but probably out of fear, decided to try to build a new framework for herself from scratch. Mm-hmm. When Nora tells Matt the story about the ball in the stands, Lori replies that it was a noble work to try to stop the world from devolving to chaos. But notice, neither of these women took this as a sign that they shouldn't end their lives. Both Nora and Lori were honoring their efforts to help people, while recognizing that the reality people wanted was different than what they had thought. Now Nora wants closure. Lori wants release. And unfortunately, Nora had just given Lori a clean way to end her suffering without causing more in the process. Lori's not an idiot, though. I think it was a case at the right place at the right time. The suicidal thought planted just when Lori felt utterly inco- incompatible with everyone in her life and the world at large. So for seven years, she gave it her best shot. Now maybe I would have stuck around a day or two out of morbid curiosity, <laughs> but maybe not. That's a good point. Yeah, If you're going I to kill have. yourself... Uh, yeah, like, I just want to see. Yeah. Because this is a pivotal event, and, like, what if everything turns out fine, and I have this epiphany? I can always kill myself the next day. Is there a way to, like, postpone your death? Like, to make your death a certainty two days from now? I mean, go and scuba got diving. No, no, no. I mean, to right now, say I'm committing to this, in two days I will die, but I have two days. I don't think so. It's like cyanide. Like, what takes radiation two days poisoning? to kill you? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like take a lethal dose of radiation. But not immediately fatal dose. Right. Um, yeah, I don't think that'd be fun. Have a hit taken no, out No, it would certainly be less elegant. I, I just feel diving. like that's the biggest problem with <laughs> the... hit taken out. Yeah. That's the biggest problem this episode is that it does seem like you could... Maybe she's afraid. Kill John Wick's dog. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe she's afraid of the implication of living in a world where nothing made sense anymore, where Kevin is a messiah. Yeah, like could be. If it doesn't come true and everyone kills themselves for no good reason, that's unbearably sad. And as a rational person, I don't want to live in a world. I mean, I don't know. That smacks too. Because when I was uh, when I grew up in the cult, I was taught to believe that scientists knew the truth, but they were rebels against God, and they just couldn't bear to live in a world where their their mm-hmm. worship of reason was shown to be the utterly hollow pursuit that it is. Right. That's insane. It is. 
That is Fully. crazy talk. Yep. No one with a rational, no one thinks that. Nope. No scientist or doctor or anything thinks that. But I did genuinely believe that. It, it, it that, that seems like Lori, that's like a bloody-mindedness that I would ascribe to Lori's way of thinking if she's trying to dodge uh, a spiritual awakening, mm-hmm. you know? I don't know. Did we finish that email? No, okay. actually. I forget why I even broke off here. Um Maybe what is coming will be more shocking and terrible than even before. I think she's had enough. I think the phone call from her children was a lucky break, a way to say goodbye without playing her hand. It was mm-hmm. all as though the universe was validating her decision like she had validated Nora's. I, I think she took it for it, but I still disagree that that was I, – I feel like that phone call mm, was the messiness of real life intruding upon her per- perfect end. Hmm. And I don't know what that okay. means, though. Yeah, I, I wish that – you know, sometimes I had the luxury of writing some of the stuff that we do on the podcast because mm-hmm. give me a little bit of time to sort out my thoughts and a little bit of time to organize them in a way that makes sense like Jamie did here because I think Jamie's analysis is really good yeah. about Lori. Yeah. And it's stuff that I'm to trying to say, but it's, I'm just so scatterbrained that it's impossible sometimes. Well, yeah, we also have next week, but then tonight, you know, then we have uh, Better Call Saul, and then we have Fargo, and by Friday we'll have forgotten about it. And oh, and I mean, I'm not going to and... I'm not gonna come back to this episode <laughs> next week and right, say, right, here's the analysis thesis, of yeah. last week's episode. I wish I could, though. Sometimes I, I wish we just did a single show at a time, because yeah. it would be, it would make a lot of stuff easier. Sure. Ben T. from the UK. This was my favorite episode this season so far. I know you may get people who disagree with it, but we watched unbelievable performances. Yeah. I felt the episode told Lori's story so well, how she wasn't strong enough to kill herself at the beginning and instead joined the guilty remnant. And then after the conversation with Kevin, she drew strength from him. And that scene where she goes scuba diving is just left focusing on the boat and the waves in a way that was breathtaking. I would disagree with the concept of someone being strong enough to kill themselves, but... Yeah, I'm... Not sure. I, I know what either, you mean. But. I know what you mean. Um, my question after waffling is why is this series not won an Emmy or Golden Globes? I'm making a rare statement, so I apologize in advance, but this has taken over the wire as my favorite series. This series is beautiful. The acting is incredible. I know viewership is low, and that's probably why, but people in the industry must know how good the acting is. Do you think it will win something this year, similar to how Brian Cranston won his award for Breaking Bad right as the series ended? No, it's seriously fucked up. I, I mean,. This show, in my opinion, was hands down the best thing on television in 2015. Yep. I, not even close. N- not not even close. I right. mean, you can talk about your Game of Thrones. You can talk about... Mad Men. Mad Men final season. Like, uh-huh. no. No, it's not even in the same realm as some of the performances on this show. Right. And I don't know how it didn't win. And here's the thing. You mentioned The Wire, taking over The Wire. Uh, Jim, you know the answer to this. How many Emmys did The Wire win? Zero. Zero. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, maybe Leftovers will take over, but for right now, it's sitting at the tippy top uh, for me in the Pantheon is The Wire, and it didn't win. Not only that, it only got nominated for two Emmys late in its run for writing. Yeah. And the fact that none of the writing in seasons one through four, none of the performances in the entirety, none of the cinematography, nothing, nothing of the great, what was consensus, one of the greatest shows in television got so so much as a nomination, let alone a win, that just tells you how artistically bankrupt all of these fucking award shows are. They're all... Ours included. Ours especially. (laughs) We only do it because it's in the middle of a dead season and people seem to enjoy it. It has no artistic merit. Right. It's, you know... It has no value. Like What's the only one in the 2015 when 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 leftovers won the Baldies that that yeah that that was an objectively correct thing. <laughs> of course, everything yeah. else was bullshit. Right. <laughs> 
But it's just it's all dumb. It's uh, like it's like it's and since I've become a quote unquote professional critic, it's become more so. Yeah. Like I hope that my favorite shows win because it guarantees exposure, which means it gets viewership, which means presumably we'll get more of it. Yeah. Or they'll get a bigger budget. But that's the only reason to root for it. It's so I, I do think there's an actual reason as to why these these things get overlooked. It's because this show doesn't connect with everyone and in order for it to connect you have to build a history with these characters yes and if you don't build that history much like you wouldn't if you were a judge and being given one episode as a submission which is how the emmys work the performances will not win you over because they don't have the emotional impact yeah to someone like it would to someone who's watched the whole thing so which is why and personally identifies with the the loss and the grief which is why i think the big tent shows get more Emmy love because right. a person sees that episode and like, oh, well, I'm watching this at home and my friends are talking about it. I know yep. exactly how this fits in. Kabam. Yeah. Where... And it's in the zeitgeist. You know the characters. Yeah. You know, like, sure. Where you're watching close-ups of Nora and Erica have this intense personal argument like, why yeah. do you care? Like, if right. you saw someone in the food court of the mall having that conversation <laughs> right next to you, would you be like, oh my god. Yeah. You know, but they, if, but if that was like your son or your daughter, right, having that conversation, you'd be super invested. Sure. So yeah, and it's a it's a shame. I wish there was more. Um, I wish there was a award show that had more artistic merit, but then that'd probably get way too up its ass, and nobody watch it and be canceled. And uh, you know, like what's what are you gonna do? Yeah, it's just marketing, man. Don't yeah. take it personal. It's true. Jeremy B., I wanted to share my own personal experience and how it relates to the show. A few years ago, I had a mental health breakdown and experienced some pretty strong delusions, nothing to the point where I was seeing dead people, but definitely fixated on certain ideas. Every time when even a minor coincidence would happen, I would see that as validating my delusion, i.e. I told myself, bro, just passed the test. Time to take it to the next level. Yep. So I definitely see that in these characters. Granted, people thinking Kevin is Jesus and him repeatedly dying and coming back is much more consequential than what I was having delusions about. But I def- definitely pick up some similarities. It's the only representation I've seen that captures the feel of what it's like to go through a delusional period in one's life. That's cool because I've had a good friend that would get delusional on a fairly regularly scheduled basis if he stopped taking his medicine. Hmm. And I never, I mean, I've seen it firsthand, but I've, I've never like understood it. And that's something I thought was interesting about this show is that like, is that accurate? Like, do you know what seniors going through and junior and the different, you know, Matt is, is that what it's kind of really like? And it's kind of nice to hear someone has gone through it. Validate that. Yeah. I don't think I have any experience with that. Um, Val Taylor, the last episode was dark as hell, but I feel, oh, I wonder, because like some of these personal experiences I really like, and you remember Omar, the closeted atheist in, I believe, Egypt? Yeah. Uh, he wrote me back a, a couple weeks ago and it didn't fit, but he had this experience where he was on a work, because I guess he works construction, and he had a, uh, Islamic translation of the God delusion. Mm-hmm. Um, in his back seat that someone saw and they accused him of being and like it was this like three way fight between the Omar who's like a closet atheist because it's hazardous to your health to be an atheist in, in uh, uh, some of these Muslim countries and two other Muslims who were accusing him and they had this bitter you know like angry like how could you do that blah 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 and he found out a couple months later that both of those guys were also closeted atheists yeah I could 
could have sworn we talked about this on the podcast. Well, I, I said I, it just like like one of those things is like um, you know, it, it's a thought exercise I always had when I was coming out of like the cult is like how yeah. many people like you know what's the silent majority and he right. said that as a response like I actually had that happen in my own life and I thought that's super interesting. Yeah, that like that's one of the reasons why. Um, you know, they make it unsafe to speak out because if everyone started speaking out about the craziness going on in life, then people would start finding commonalities and, mm-hmm. you know, getting down to brass tacks and solving problems rather than just, you know, argue, taking sides of something they don't ultimately believe. Fascinating. Yeah. Um, moving on. Val Taylor. That last episode's dark as hell, but I feel like I got a glimpse of what the show will end up being as a, uh, as a whole by the end of it. What I learned from this episode is that we, like the characters, have put so much theorizing and speculation in these grand schemes of what they could mean, the departure machine, the Book of Kevin. The reality is they're just fantasies. I kind of see everyone using these elaborate methods to deal with their pain and essentially commit suicide. Lori lets him do it. Nora will use her suicide machine. Matt gives up on his gospel and his plan and will let the cancer get him. Kevin Jr. lets them drown them. I think for Lori, she's finally letting them do it because she knows this is the way they'll come to grips with ending their lives. For her, she's never believed in these fantasies, so it's much simpler. She just goes scuba diving. So what we've seen, or what I've been fanatically speculating up to this point, now I see this season as each character choosing their own way to end their lives. Which is bleak. <laughs> yeah. Super bleak. Um, that is not what I thought the show <laughs> was up until... I don't know, like I said, this season... Like, I recognize the greatness of this episode, but it's it's got me scared. Hmm. It's got me scared that I'm heading for Braveheart. You might be. I see Kevin's guts pulled out and burned in front of his eyes. Yeah. As Nora walks, ghost of Nora walks through the crowd. Mm -hmm. Uh, Craig D. This show's always had a share of biblical undertones and illusions, but now seems to be leaning into them ever more, going so far as to make connections directly for the viewer, i.e. The Last Supper, Kevin Sr. assigning each person a disciple. After reading a number of recaps, however, I was surprised that I didn't see any mention of one illusion, in particular, Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, so we talked about this. Um, I'm going to skip to the parts where maybe we didn't talk. This is where Jesus asked the Father if there's any way to let this cut pass from him, meaning his upcoming crucifixion, but ultimately submitted to his will. When Jesus returned from praying, he found his disciples sleeping. Um, let's see. We were talking about the kiss on the cheek. I think these connections give us insight into what Kevin might have been thinking while on his ride. Jesus' prayer to Gethsemane is one of the more human moments he has in Scripture as he faces the burden he must take. He openly dreads it, hoping there might be another way, but finally accepts what he must do. I think we can assume Kevin has had similar thoughts before arriving in his decision to go through with the drowning. Um, do you think – this email had me thinking that we might have a cold open or some other opening next week where it has Kevin on the ride. Because there's a lot mm-hmm. of, like, juicy stuff in this, this – you know, Jesus is essentially begging the God for, like, look – I know this is what I'm supposed to do, but I really, really don't want to do it. He was so upset that the biblical account says he was sweating blood. Um, I I wonder if we'll see any of that, of him, like, out in the wilderness with this horse, you know, screaming through the heavens or or something. Mm Because clearly Kevin didn't want any of this. Yeah, he's been resisting it the whole time. But he's also, if he says what he says to Lori is true, he's also not afraid the way Jesus was. Yeah. So, I don't know. Do you think it would be I mean, maybe something can happen out there? Maybe to... the horse starts talking to him. That's what I was thinking, yeah. It's going to be all right, Kevin. <laughs> um, any other thoughts? Nope. Josh S. In the movie The Right Stuff, Scott Glenn plays Alan Shepard, as previously noted. 
the first American shot into space. Later in the film, John Glenn is set to orbit the Earth, so a couple of his astronaut buddies head to Australia to set up a radio outpost where they can talk to him as he travels to the other side of the Earth. When they get to Australia, Cooper is walking to the radio station and they have an exchange with the Aboriginal man. The actor they talk with is, wait for it, Christopher Sunday. All right. Bringing the Scott Glenn, Chris Final Wave, Sunday. and the walkabouts and the right stuff and the leftovers into sequence. All right. The, the, the planets are in alignment mm-hmm. as we enter the final episode. Um, let's see. There's an interesting one. JW, I can finally relate to your feelings that the show is written for you. Last week, I had a brief but lighthearted text conversation with a friend. Two hours later, she had killed herself. I'd spent Jesus. the last several days dumbfounded as what I could have done to prevent this, how things could go from joking to no longer wanting to live in hours. I blamed myself thinking I should have seen it and done something. I searched and searched and analyzed every word trying to see what I missed, and I came up empty. But last night when Lori was in that boat, for just a few seconds, I thought the call from her children were going to change her mind, but was wrong. But in those moments, I was comforted by the thought that nothing could have prevented it. Yeah, that's that's the thing. I mean, oof, I don't think the blaming yourself is going to do any good for anybody. No, no. And that's the thing. Like, you can't – I mean, it's 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 hard to relate to people in that position. It's interesting that – the vast majority of accounts I've read where people survived a suicide attempt, they always like um, uh, the like the people that jump off like the Golden Gate Bridge and survive. Like their all their last moment, like as they take the step off and it's the point of no return, they always think, "Shit, I've made a huge mistake." Um, very Joe Black out of yeah Arrested Development. Um, so. You know, I guess that's I don't know. I don't know what I don't have any data. I don't have any counsel for you. No, I don't, I don't. I don't have any answers I'm not or go advice. Scuba diving, but my only advice would be it it will not do you any good to blame yourself and I'm glad you've come to that conclusion. Right. Frankly. And for suicide like I mean, if you're struggling with suicidal thoughts, like every country has their own suicide prevention hotline because yeah. it seems that the antidote for those thoughts is to make a connection with another human being, even an anonymous one, just to just hear someone that gives a shit about your situation. And that's always, Mm -hmm. you know, I try to every once in a while have these talks with my son about like, you know, sometimes your brain can get sick and it can seem like, you know, like when you're like, when, when you're, when you're sick with like the flu or you're in a hospital and like, you have these thoughts about like, God, I wish this would be over. I wish I would die. But then you feel better. And like, you never, like when you're healthy, you don't want to die. Like your brain can do that, but it's the double fuck of that's the seed of your reason. Right. So that's not working right, then like it's really easy to think, well, I'll never feel better. And your brain is like, yeah, yeah, you're fucked. Um, sure. So, like, you know, get help because like everyone can heal, but you can't heal from death. No. <laughs> that's, uh, that's the one, one thing you can't heal from. Right. So um, I don't know. Um, I, I wonder what it'd be like to be suicidal and watch this episode. <laughs> No, I don't even. I man, and if you're Lindelof and like you, 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 you hear a story of someone like seeing this episode and like blowing their head off immediately because they were thinking about it and like, well, here's a logical character that I've cared about and admired, and they decided to commit suicide. Do you feel bad if you're Lindelof? I would tell him the exact same thing. Yeah, you can't blame yourself. I tell like if like you know, um, because you hear that like like Metallica wrote a song "Fade to Black," and that's the one that I'm familiar with because um, about that's about suicide. Mm-hmm. And as far, I mean, I don't know that I can think of anyone that's killed themselves as a result of that song, but I do know that I've read a lot of people saying that that 
song and the emotions and the feelings of it had allowed them to come to grips with their thoughts of suicide and avoid it. Hmm. So it seems okay. like art can go two ways, and it's sure. you know at yeah. the end, like you said, it's the ultimate person that takes their life is is responsible for what they're taking away from that. You can't blame the artist. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, that I, I have always felt that way about art. You know, and 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 that's the point of art. It's how you interpret it. Okay. Um, Robbie from Georgia. Uh, it's got a long email, but essentially is. Are we going to see some of the people that we think are dead in this episode? Nora, Lori, perhaps Matt, Christopher Sunday, Evie, Grace's kids, David Burton, the police chief. Are we going to see all of them in this next episode? None of them in this next episode? Uh, as I as I recall, he doesn't meet anybody who is departed Virgil. in that hotel. Oh, Virgil yeah, departed, isn't departed. departed. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So Grace's kids would not be there. Okay. Um, well, well, Grace's no, kids did. would. Her they husband. Did. Yes, yes. Her husband wouldn't be there. Um, I think he mentioned people to all that were not departed. Okay. Then, but, yeah, but, we could totally see. Do you think we. Because I'm starting to think. All of them. I'm starting to think we're not. He's going to drown and we're not going to get an international assassin. You don't think so? And and you could write it off through, like, well, he wasn't in Jarden. So you still have the. I Yeah, I kind of starting to think that Kevin's just going to die. And then the catharsis is going to be Nora's story that presumably we get in the final episode. Because well, we're expecting it, right? We're expecting I mean, to go to the hotel. So so what's this? Right, we are expecting it. But what's this Kevin that is mentioned in that flash forward? Is it Kevin Sr.? That doesn't seem to make much sense. Like, you why would think, she give a flying fuck about Kevin Sr.? You don't think Sr.? that if, if the police show up, and there's like a triple homicide based on this weird outback religious cult that this American who's been molesting the native peoples of Australia. Like that wouldn't be a huge story. Like this, this tale of this Kevin. No, I, I'm saying what is Kevin to Nora at that point? Oh, if, if it's Kevin Senior, why does she give a fuck about hearing the name Kevin? If if Kevin Junior is dead, maybe it's like, what do you mean Kevin? Is he alive? I. Well, I think it's hard to take. I, I don't think Kevin's going to die. I think um, okay, that's I, fine. And I think we are getting another international assassin type episode. So you're walking right into the Lindelof trap. I am, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe it's maybe it's a trap. The only argument I have against it is that we've already seen it, and uh, somehow like that just breaks with law because no one saw the attack of the guilty remnant. And what they were going to know, even though it was kind of obvious in retrospect, no one saw that coming. No one saw the International Hotel. It would be weird if he just essentially did a Return of the Jedi and ran back to Death Star for the climax of The Leftovers. I mean, maybe. Or maybe it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Because that's the, the climax of the story for Kevin. Like Hard to say. And we've been to the International Assassin Hotel twice now. So this will be a third time. All right. Here's the two negative takes. J.J. Johnson... Emotionally powerful, utter bullshit. This week's show was created with so much well-executed emotional drama that it could bring you to tears unless you stop to think about how silly the story has become. It's pretty much just a celebration of delusion and suicide. I think that the celebrate hmm. that like the celebration of delusion and suicide. Like I have a hard time because I do, even though I I disagree with his takeaway from the episode, I kind of agree that some of this stuff is put in a little bit too positive of a light. I might follow you down that trail. Um, I I think what they're trying to say is everybody has a different way of dealing with sadness, 
dealing with guilt, dealing with loss. I mean, that's the theme of the show at at large. Has um, any other main characters committed suicide in the leftovers yet? Mm, Patty, like yeah, she Patty killed herself. Did, but I think we that's it. we weren't a sympathetic character. I no. guess if I'm Lindelof, I could say if I didn't have a character committing suicide under all this, that would be a very that would be a very yeah. unauthentic take on the way people deal with grief. If this is a meditation on that, that is part of the set and how people deal with it, right? Yeah. So if no one we care about ever just got got to their limit and 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 committed suicide for like morally dubious reasons, that wouldn't be very truthful and honest, would it? Yeah, I mean, I I agree with that. I think there are people out there who will certainly kill themselves if something like this were to happen and they couldn't contextualize it and deal with it. Sure. Um, so I like I also see where you're coming from. Like if you think that this episode was, you know, rather positive on the idea of suicide or or these delusions that everybody's falling into, I can understand that. But I, I don't think that's the message. Like delusion and suicide are good. Yeah. I think the message is we – as a people all deal with this differently as individuals, you know, mm-hmm. the, no one, no one has the same reaction to these types of things. And we need to try to understand each other a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think we found Lori at the end of this, when she decided I can't get healing that I need. So I'm out. I, and I do think that those, that final scene kind of another way to read it is, She's doing this to painlessly end things for her family. But, you know, Jill and Tommy, even if they buy the suicide thing, are going to be grief stricken. They will. Yeah. And, you know, they're being robbed of their mothers. So, like, I don't. Is that a celebration? Like, see how happy that Tommy right. and Jill and how long that has come and, the, and, and how long it's taken for that to, to be like that, that situation to be OK. Right. And now their mother's going to die in yeah. mysterious circumstances. Like, is that going to make them backslide or they're going to be like, oh, yeah, you know, mom died doing what she loved. I, I, I don't know. But it, I, it's, I, that's why I can't say it's a celebration. Yeah. Like, that's a, it's a very one-dimensional read of the situation. Uh, let's move into Skogan, who talks a little bit more about this. I used to love The Leftovers. I love following along with you guys through season two. Like you guys, I thought season two is one of the greatest seasons I've ever seen. I have seen most of the episodes of season two maybe a dozen times and probably saw International Assassin and I live here now a couple dozen times. But wow. I now wish it had ended there. I win this season telling other people how excited I was for what I was to come, but season three has been garbage. I've apologized to some of them for how bad it's been. It's just full of gimmicks and flippancy. It seems the writers are stringing the audience out of the point, uh, out to the point of apathy. The characters are so unrelated to what they were, they seem to be strangers and not those eyes the viewer had made a connection with. While the first two seasons were drenched in emotion, mystery, and intrigue, this season is just a bottomless pit of tangential nonsense of pop philosophies. I wish the season never happened. I'm glad you guys are enjoying it, or at least trying to. But like this, Leftovers characters, your podcast of the show seem forced and nonsensical. Tell me where I went wrong between seasons well, two and three. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Here's you know, the, here's I appreciate you saying that your perspective on it makes our podcast forced and nonsensical. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I want you to step back, Skogan, and listen to what utter bullshit that final sentence was. <laughs> you don't enjoy the show anymore, so suddenly uh-huh. our podcasts are forced and nonsensical. That's like your opinion, man. Yeah. And I'm not bullshitting you when I say that I think all of this follows cleanly from the seasons before. Mm-hmm. Now, I could say 
if I wanted to be directive, that perhaps by delving too deeply into season two, you've built a lot of complex theories and expectations of how these people would go, and it hasn't lived up to that, and now it's utter shit. But why are you... This is what's starting to drive me nuts about te- television culture is everyone's argue with everyone else's subjective opinion. Right. Like, it's not I like Lost and I can see why other people don't like Lost. It's like I like Lost and everyone else is stupid. Or I thought Lost is dumb and anyone that thought it was fulfilling is a rube and just buying what – why has it got to be like that, man? Why can't like you just uh, you, you no longer you know and and you, you no longer love the show? It's not meeting your expectations. Those expectations, there's like all kinds of externalities that we bring into the shows that we watch. But why do you have to generalize that to an entire audience? Because right. clearly, tons of people are loving the show. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think that there's objective things you can point out, like if you care to make it. Like th- this is not an argument. This is just a, a string of accusations about nonsense pop philosophies and no no emotion mystery those are also like there's there's nothing used to like defend that argument so there's nothing i can then argue against it like you we can have a discussion about i thought this was dumb because of this and i could be like well i could see the blah that's what jim and i do in the podcast but it's hard for me to respond to this because there's nothing specific and you know i don't know how much like if someone sent me a, a laundry list of all the problems out of season three how much I would engage with that Mm. Um, because ultimately this is a fan podcast Um, and even like the thing that I the the walking dead the thing that I roll my eyes about the most I try to 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 in my criticism express that that I do enjoy the show and I love aspects of it yeah Um, it's not a cynical grab for ratings or whatnot Um, but yeah I mean if if you're to the point where you think that not only does does this show suck but everyone that's enjoying it is diluted I I think you need to, to to check how you got here because that's assuming a lot of bad faith and a lot of um negative things I don't think are in uh in in evidence uh with your fellow fans here. Yeah. I mean, we'll you know, once we get through this season, we'll take a retrospective look at it and say what do we think of it? Um what do we like? What didn't we like? As it stands now, I think maybe if I were to point to one thing that I don't like um quite as much as season 2 is I feel fairly disconnected from kevin this season um despite him being like the crux of like the thing at the center of everyone else's actions he has been surprisingly absent as a character so i saw that mentioned we actually had an email that taught, brought that up but it didn't make the cut um where they're saying is that really true because if you think of previous especially season two where the first hour didn't wasn't about Kevin and his family at all and how you had a Matt episode and you had a Nora episode and you had an Erica episode like over half that season wasn't about Kevin either and until the last two or three episodes then it tightly focused back on Kevin do you think that we're just I really feel like we've only gotten one solid episode of Kevin and that's the stuff with Evie yeah where he he thinks he goes to Australia he thinks he found Evie Um, he has a big fight with Nora I don't know I thought the first episode was pretty Kevin heavy too what happened in that one? I he jumps remember. into a lake. He breaks up a fight and over uh, uh, oh yeah, uh, Toothy McGee statue. He right uh, uh, yeah. puts a bag over his head and suffocates himself. That all like, felt like preamble to what was actually going to happen. It feels like it happened Just a million like, years ago. Strangely, it does. Yeah, even, even though, though it's six weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, uh, this show yeah. covers a lot of emotional ground. Um, but I think this season has been more focused on some of our peripheral characters, like right. like Lori. I mean, right. we didn't get really any Lori episodes. 
in previous seasons. Sure. This is well, kind of the big one. Her you and know? Tommy had the big thing where she attacked the book. And Jill publisher. had some stuff, but it wasn't like, this is Laurie's episode. And I felt like, above all, this was Laurie's episode. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and that maybe is the first time I felt that way about that character. We got a full Matt episode. Mm-hmm. We've had a lot of Nora. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen a lot of what she's going through. Do you think? I mean, here's the thing. I, and I got, all I can promise people is, if in my personal opinion, this show takes a massive shit mm. in the bed in the last two episodes, I will say that. And I might even say things like, you know what? In retrospect, we should have seen this coming all along <laughs> because now that we see that it's unsatisfying, you can see all the things they're building up and how we could have seen this coming. But at this point, that's not how I feel. Mm. And also, if it, I, I might like it, I might rash like like I, you do all kinds of things. Like I, I can't promise to be unbiased and completely rational about my subjective opinions. Um, for example, I remember everyone walking out of the Phantom Menace being bummed out, except for me. <laughs> do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, you had to see it like fifteen times to know that you hated it. No, <laughs> I didn't hate the prequels until the third movie was over. Yeah. That's, because that's I was like, I'm like, well, I, all I wanted to see was Jedi's at their peak and some cool sword fights. And I saw the yeah, Jar Jar is kind of dumb, but whatever. And and like, uh, you know, like I, I thought he was built. I was cutting Lucas slack because I thought when you saw the whole thing, you would see what it was all about and why it was a vital. And then after the third movie and there was no longer any excuses, I had to say, yeah, yeah this is really shitty. And in fact, it made me hate the third movie more than most people did because I still had some some fucking hopes riding on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't deluded. I don't think I had the wrong opinion about it the whole time. My expectations were different, and my faith in the person that's doing the work was was such that I was overlooking some what were probably obvious warning symbols. Maybe this is going on now. Yeah. Uh, that I talked so much shit about Lindelof about Lost in the first season. He knocked me on my ass, and in the second season, he I had faith, and he, it was rewarded. So this third season, I'm giving him enough rope to hang himself and us and take us all scuba diving. I don't know, I, and I can't know that until the season's over. Gotcha. Uh, all I can promise to be is is to be honest mm-hmm. um, with my biases and my takeaways and my subjective opinions. All that's all I really owe anybody. You know? Sure. So, do you have any any thoughts for the haters? No, I, I, I mean, you summed it up. I shouldn't even Those say haters thoughts, because but... that's a pejorative, right? Like, there's nothing. J.J. Johnson and Skogan aren't wrong. I think they're objectively wrong at puning our motives about. Okay. 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 That's where. Yeah. But but their subjective opinion of the show is not wrong. Sure. So um, hopefully you'll keep watching and it'll turn things around because I mean I I don't. Or hopefully you'll quit watching if you don't enjoy it. Like yeah, that's the other thing. Th- do either one, but I don't know. I don't know what to tell people who get upset that we like something they don't or don't like something they do yeah like it's that's uh i mean i get it i understand like it's always a bummer when your friends don't like stuff that you don't that you do but yeah it's true it's the way it goes sometimes anyway leftovers at baldmove.com uh is how you get your feedback considered you can also go to baldmove.com uh to find the links for everything i'm about to tell you about but facebook.com slash baldmove you want to follow us on social media or twitter at baldmove or instagram at baldmove uh, we also have our forums, forums.baldmove.com. If you can't get enough talking about the leftovers, you can you can hash it out with your fellow fans there. Uh, and we will be back next week. Just two episodes left. Yeah. In yeah. fact, this might be the final Kevin episode. We're, this oh, next one? We have a little bit of spoiler talk, too. Uh, no, no. I, I, 
the only thing I wanted to mention is something that's shown in the previews for the season where Kevin Sr. is drowning Kevin Jr. Okay. And it's in a bathtub. It's not on this seesaw that we seem to have this idea about in our heads. Now, that says one of two things. Either things don't go as planned, and he's got to, like, emergency drown Kevin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or uh, we just have this mistaken idea that he's going to seesaw him. Or it, 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 it goes like previous season. Or it happened twice, yeah. Yeah, because mm-hmm. they, they did fake as... We were very confused because it looked like they were drowning someone who wasn't Kevin at one point. We now understand that was the other Chief Kevin. Yeah. Um, it would be interesting to watch that. We, we ought to do, after we get done recording this, we ought to watch the trailers again and see, knowing now what we do, if we can piece some of that together. I don't know. I'm not that interested in doing it, honestly. Yeah. I'd rather let the mystery be. But, um, yeah. Um, it feel I don't know because if if you go with the the next episode's t- titled the most powerful man in the world and his identical twin right it seems like next week is too there's not enough there's there's too much shit for one episode to hold mm-hmm. uh, hold because the final episode's called uh, the book of Nora yeah which I assume is going to be this this denouement is going to wrap everything up and and follow Nora mm-hmm. and how she's dealing with post the anniversary. Could be because that's the reason why I just feel like next hour. I mean, maybe it's going to be. I have you heard anything about it being an extra long episode? No, because that the it just seems like there's way too much plot to resolve. Like you need international. You need you need everything. You need like everything that happened in International Assassin and I Live Here Now to happen in a single episode mm-hmm. to show everything we've seen in the trailers and to have this flood that everybody thinks is going to be biblical and. Uh, you know, and then leave enough time for like Nora's wrap up. I I don't know. I don't know. I'll, I'm willing to let the mystery be. Yeah, just see what happens. All right. Well, we'll be here for next week, regardless of what happens. Uh, and until then, I'm Aaron. I'm Jim. See ya. <sighs> so I've been watching a lot of Hulu because Hulu's got The Handmaid's Tale, and Hulu has some crazy ass commercials. I've seen this thing about 16 times in the last three weeks. This okay. is for a drug called Movantic. All right. And I want to analyze all the fucked up things that's wrong about it. Hi, I'm Frank. I take Movantic for OIC. Opioid-induced constipation. <laughs> okay, yeah, let's pause it All there. right. This is good. This what is, is really... one of the biggest problems in America? Opioid abuse. And, and why do you think, what is the contributing factors of this epidemic of heroin and opioids? Uh, it's certainly the lack of poops. <laughs> The overprescribing of these drugs, or, or I, I mean, it's well, I mean, maybe people take them to become constipated. That's why maybe I do. They're... That's why I abuse opioids because I want firm poops. Yeah, but but what what is striking about this is this is a commercial for people whose doctors have essentially put them on opioids forever to the point that their shits are granite now. Yeah. So we're going to treat the side effect of something we prescribed you with another drug. Mm-hmm. Let's, 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 let's continue. Let's continue. I had a bad back injury. My doctor prescribed opioids, which helped with the chronic pain, but backed me up. Big time. <laughs> Big time. Now, the other thing is observe that he's not talking to us. He's talking to someone off the screen. Because yeah, that's going be, to be, be super crucial. I like to imagine on. he's talking to the foreman of, of this crew. This looks, yeah. He's telling, he's, he's telling his other buddy, that <laughs> like he, why he was late. The, the to buddy work. that he's selling opioids to, he's explaining, <laughs> right. "Hey, you need to go to see your doctor about this. I can't hook you up with Movantic." Uh, the other thing is, this looks so much like a Saturday Night Live, yeah. commercial, down to the fact that this guy is a dead ringer for Will Forte. Huh. 
Uh, anyway. Tried prunes, laxatives, still constipated. And, and, and he's, he's trying prunes and laxatives as he's heading towards the big orange. So, so uh, 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 pot. Right. Now, surely he has not tried all the laxatives because he's about to tell us about a laxative that will help with his firm poops, right? Well, this has just been invented by science. And you should ask your doctor about it. Okay. All right. So now he's, 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 he's going to his doctor who looks like um, Gretchen from Breaking Bad. Okay, a little bit. Maybe mixed with uh, Dr. Quinn. Okay, medicine, medicine woman. woman that's, yeah. that's appropriate, because uh -huh. she's going to help him with his poops. <laughs> had to talk to my doctor. She said, how long you been holding this in? <laughs> Forever. Oh, God, this guy. He said, how long have you been holding this in? And he breaks the fourth wall, fixes us with this sheepish grin, and laughs right into the camera. That was my moment. That, that's moment. a knowing laugh. But He's I, laughing with us, not at us. This has become a thing in our household. <laughs> this is our Movantic moment. Doctor told me that Movantic is specifically designed for OIC and can help you go more often. Don't take Movantic if you have a bowel blockage or a history of them. Movantic may cause serious. Wait, side doesn't effects, he have a bowel blockage? And a history of them. How the fuck are you supposed to tell the difference about like like constipation and a bowel blockage? Yeah. I guess you go to your doctor who prescribed you the opioids and say, yeah. hey, I can't shit, doc. Yeah, uh, I, I want to try Movantic, but maybe check me out for this blockage thing. Because yeah. I'm just all, I'm just all blocked up. I've been holding this in for a long time. Uh-huh. Wait, opioid. Okay, those are withdrawals. I thought maybe that was a symptom of blockages. All right, all right. But it's not. Okay. Symptoms of opioid withdrawal, severe stomach pain and or diarrhea, and tears in the stomach or intestine. Tell your doctor about any side effects and about medicines you take. Movantic may interact with them, causing side effects. Why like hold it in? opioids. Have your Movantic moment. Talk to your doctor about it. And they're just this... Have your Movantic It's all moment. Mr. Robot framing at the end where he's at the extreme far side of the left talking off to the left. Uh-huh. As if he's looking back toward the past regretfully. I, I just... I, I'm just amazed every single time this comes on.